That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. It is day five of Damian Lillard Trade Watch. He officially asked out on July 1st. It's July 5th now. Really nothing's changed, though. We do have some extra news, a little bit of news here going on. I'm Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. John is out today. Judy Newby with me as well. Hope everyone had a great 4th of July weekend. Uh, I know I did, although, you know, we talked about this. Me and John did the other day. Like, I'm not a big 4th of July guy. I'm not a big fireworks guy. And I'm glad this year. So my youngest is four years old and he was very afraid of the loud noises. And, you know, the oldest one I have, he's eight years old. He's loving it. He's loving the fireworks. He's loving the sounds and just everything, having fun with the neighbors. The youngest one got scared. And so he wanted to go inside the house and didn't want to sit out and watch fireworks. And I was okay with that. So we went inside. We laid down on the bed. We just watched TV instead. Then, you know, the, the oldest comes in and says, hey, Hey, honey, your fireworks are going off. The one that you chose, you want to watch? And he's like, well, okay. And I said, well, let's just watch it from the house. Like, let's go into your brother's room, look out the window and watch the fireworks. And it was great. So we, we watched fireworks a little bit from inside the house. Then he got tired of it, got scared, watched TV. It, it was it was a better 4th of July that way rather than having to sit out and watch all these fireworks. Because I, I just, I don't know. I don't I don't get it. I want to ask Jude about that, but I don't, I don't get the whole fireworks thing and how just fun they are. I mean, I get it. I mean, I get like the colors are cool, I guess, and it's fire, but I, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. Do you know what? How is your Fourth uh, of July, first of all? And do you, what, what's your view on fireworks? Like, do you get it? Because I just don't get it. I don't get the fun of them. Yeah, I, I can. I like the fireworks at the end of a baseball game, you know, and they set off at, in the outfield. And, yeah, like you uh, win a game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Springsteen in the background or whatever. You know, like the July 4th fireworks show at a baseball game, I think, is, is pretty peak fireworks. I never really grew up with or got into, like, the fireworks around the house type hmm. thing or, like, in your street. Um, maybe a little bit of that, but I know people do. some people do that up uh, pretty big. Yeah. I don't know. It depends. If you're with a lot of people, you're hanging out, you're drinking some beers, you're just having a good time, and you want to see stuff blow up, and it's safe, then do that. But there's just way too many horror stories for me to really get into that. I mean, (laughs) my other problem with it is is it's so expensive. Like, it's, I mean, we went and we got fireworks last, you know, last night, like right before nighttime, we went out and we did some things, went to the pool, just hung out with some family, and then we were going back home, and we got fireworks, and it's like, I feel like we've gotten maybe six fireworks. It was like 60 bucks. Dude, because they've got the leverage. They do. You know, these places. Did you go uh, pop-up tent or yeah, would you go? Just pop-up tent outside of a Safeway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you would think that, you know, maybe uh, you could get them at a better rate than that. I thought maybe, you know. Price hour, gouging. Yeah, hours before. No. 
No, they're going to gouge you for all the prizes. I told my wife that I said, we need to start a firework business. Like, these people are <laughs> raking it in. I mean, I, what are they buying the, What are they buying these wholesale for? That's yeah. what I need to know. Yeah, it's like uh, Dwight Schrute, you know, selling the princess unicorn at exactly. a marked up rate at Christmas time. That's it's like I'm, everybody wants it. That's what I'm saying. I like, mean, her horn can pierce the sky. <laughs> does that, that morally make me a bad person? I just want to capitalize on the, you know. People just Look, if fireworks. you don't find value in it yourself, I think you capitalize on the you know the feelings of other people that do find value in it, and you price gouge them for it. Stephen, I think you're onto something here. It could be a really nice side business for you. And Judy, you know this about me since I've been here for over a year. Year anniversary just came up. I'm all about value. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. As a as a gambling man, I'm all, <laughs> it's about, all about, just, about where the value is. Doesn't matter if I lose my bet. I had value on it. That's that's, exactly that's what right. I always tell myself, and that makes me feel good when I lose a bet. Which is probably why you're so big on this Damian uh, Utah trade. Well, possibility. yeah, I was gonna say speaking about of value. speaking of value, Damian Lillard to the Trailblazers. Now, the reports are Dame is coming out there and he's saying it's Miami or bust for me. What what does that mean for the Trailblazers? Like, are they really gonna have to give in? And just trade Damian Lillard to the Miami for their package? The answer is no. In my mind, the answer is no. You cannot just give in and give up the Damian Lillard value for what the Heat are offering because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to just give up, you know, maybe the best player of all time in your franchise history and give him up for pennies on the dollar, give him up for two first round picks, some pick swaps, and Tyler Hero. Like, no, thank you. That that is not a trade that I'm interested in. Now Good thing is, Judah, is the Blazers don't seem to be interested in Tyler Hero. Because if they were interested in Tyler Hero, this trade would be done by now. Like, this trade would have been done on July 1st or July 2nd. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, whoever, all these guys would be in Portland. Dane would be in Miami. But the fact that it's not says to me that Joe Cronin is holding out for more and is looking for other trade packages from other teams. Because that Tyler Hero package is always going to be available. Like, the, the Blazers know that. The Heat know that. And so I think it's good that... That trade hasn't gone through yet, and it really says to me that the Blazers just don't value Tyler Hero like the Heat do. Now, I will say this also, Judah, real quick, is I think Tyler Hero is getting a little bit of a tough rap right now because he is only 23 years old. He's a good player, sixth man of the year. Um, but he got hurt, and the Heat make a run, and now we act like this guy is trash. He's not. Like He's going to continue to get better. He just has some flaws in his game, and of course, we know as Blazer fans, they don't need another guard, another 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guard on this team. They have Shaden Sharp. You don't want to take minutes from him, but Tyler Hero get a bad rap. But, I mean, don't you? do you think it's a good sign that the Blazers haven't made this trade? Because this trade is always going to be available. This Tyler gets from the Miami Heat. Well, there's a lot in this Miami thing that I've got questions about. My question back to you is, with Tyler Hero, and he's just 23, I get that, but does he fit the rebuild timeline of, of Joe Cronin? Like, is it less about Hero the player in the contract and also more about, hey, uh, I know 23 is not old per se, but we'd rather get trade assets back in a package for Dame than established players. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a combination of both, right? I do think that the Blazers want to get some type of young player as well. You can't just go in and get draft picks for Dame. I think you want to get some value in some players as well. But I will say this about Tyler Hero. You have Anthony Simons on your team. I think Tyler Hero is better than Anthony Simons. I think he's a better offensive player full well-rounded than Anthony Simons is higher but he ceiling because um, I mean this guy won six man of the year already yeah and Simons could do you think Simons well Simons could Simons and, and, with the deal he has now hard to argue they'll he'll ever come off the bench for anybody anymore right and I, I, that's the thing is you know is he going to be a backup or whatever I think Tyler here is a better offensive player than Anthony Simons right now but 
Simons has more athleticism, just pure athleticism, but he doesn't quite use it. Tyler Hero, one of the best free throw shooters in the NBA, gets to the line more than Anthony Simons does. You know, Simon's is a better shooter, but Hero can create more for others. I heard about Hero's free throw percentage the other day. Wasn't yeah. he? He was like above ninety. It was like ninety three percent. That's that's hard to High, do. I believe it was highest, maybe the highest in the league uh, of players who shot over two a game. Wow. So yeah, I mean, he's like the guy. Free throws a, aren't sexy, but that's a that's a nice little stat. I mean, that's the one. That's one thing that Anthony Simons, CJ McCollum always had trouble doing was getting to the free throw line. Now Hero doesn't get to the line a whole bunch either. But he also knocks it down when he's there. So I think Tyler Hero is getting a little bit of bad rap. But I just think to answer your question, Judah, I, the timeline-wise, I think it would fit. But I think player-wise and roster construction-wise, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And I want to think that Joe Cronin has learned from Neil O'Shea's mistakes of going with all these guards. And it just doesn't make sense to load up your team on guards unless they are Stephen Curry. Unless they are Damian Lillard. Can you get another Damian Lillard to go with Damian Lillard? No, you can't. It's going to be hard. You already got Scoot. You already got Shane Sharp. Like, those are your guys. Those are the two guys you're building around. You don't want to put more people in their way. So if you put Tyler Hero in there, what are you going to do? Go with three more? Go with a three-guard lineup of Tyler Hero, Shane Sharp, Scoot Henderson, and then where does Anthony Simons fit in? It, it, It doesn't make sense to go for a guard. So I think... Age-wise, yeah, it would fit perfectly, but position-wise, it doesn't fit. And so for that reason, I do think the tie, that's one of the reasons why Tyler Hero isn't really you know, a big interest piece here in Portland. Yeah, it's that roster balance. It's that floor balance yeah. you know, concept that uh, we've... We've seen the instability of it in Portland with the with the multiple guards and the two guards predominantly. And not only that, but it'd be one thing if one of the guards was like the offensive skill set of C.J. McCollum and the defensive skill set of Drew Holiday. Right. But it's the offensive skill set of C.J. and the defensive skill set of, of C.J., which is, you know, that's not going to do you anything on the other side of the floor. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to think of what you know, trade get back for Dame could look like um, from a front court, you know, standpoint, or at least a depth standpoint or, or more length on this team. Because to your point, yeah, Tyler Hero doesn't do it for me. And I think uh, I, I do wonder about the Joe Cronin, Pat Riley, you know, relationship here. I know Miami's got a general manager as well, obviously, that's working the deal, but we don't really know who he is. Right. It's ultimately a Pat Riley, you know, Lillard, uh, luring job here that Joe Cronin is trying to navigate. And by the way, it's not Burt Cold and, and Pat Riley. I don't think that's happening. I don't think Burt's getting on the phone with Pat. Or if he is, that's a very uh, silly conversation to, to think about. But yeah, I, I don't know if Cronin, because you and I were talking the other day and it just, you, you had this thought that come hell or high water, Joe Cronin does not want to make a deal with the Miami Heat. Like regardless of you know, trade get back, regardless of Tyler Hero or whatever they have to offer, there seems to be like some personal animus or some behind the scenes stuff where Cronin just does not want to make a deal with Pat Riley. And I I don't know anything about that or what that's coming from or what that's stemming from, but that could be another kind of factor that complicates all of this between Portland and Miami. Yeah, I can't confirm that he's actually said these type of things. I've I've been told that that's what Joe Cronin said. He doesn't really want to deal with Miami. And I don't know if that's because he doesn't want to deal with Pat Riley. I don't know if that's because he just doesn't want to give in to Damian Lillard. But I also can't confirm if this is true or not. I've only heard it one time. And it was kind of in passing. So, well, if you heard it in passing on July 5th, uh, it's actually true. But that's this, how yes, the NBA works. Exactly. And this was way before Dame had officially <laughs> requested a trade, right? So this was like in June, right, right after the draft when he did this. So, right. so I can't confirm or deny that. But I will say, like, 
It's one of the things, and I said this before, like, if you make a trade with Danny Ainge or Brad Stevens or Pat Riley, you're probably losing the trade, right? Like, that's just the way it is. They are that good of general managers, that good of evaluation of talent. They're probably going to get the better end of the deal. Now, if that's the case, do you just fully take them out of all your trade talks? No, you don't do that because you can't take out that because those are three teams that could potentially want Dame and have actually assets to give up for Damian Lillard. So I, I do think it's tough for the Blazers to make a straight one for one team, one team Blazers heat trade. There's going to have to be a third team involved. And if that's the case, this trade could last well into the summer. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay for the Portland Trailblazers. I think it's okay for Dame. If Dame truly wants to get to Miami, that's what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to wait. And I keep hearing this talk of, well, the Blazers just need to unload Dame to the to the Heat to make him happy. He he deserves it. it it's, can someone explain to me, please? And, and please, I would love this. 503, explain to me the thought process behind trading Dame to Miami, not getting the and not getting the best package back. Because I don't understand it. I all I've seen is, well, it'll make it so other stars or other players don't want to sign with Portland or don't want to re-sign with Portland, don't want to come to Portland. Portland wasn't getting players anyways. They don't get free agents. Guess what? If Scoot Henderson or Shaden Sharp are awesome, they're going to stay. They're not going to leave. Portland will say, here's your max contract. Do Would you like it? Yes, please. I would love to be a Portland Trailblazer. That's what they would say. They're not going to say, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to sign this five-year max contract because you traded Damian Lillard to the Utah Jazz. Like That's, that's not going to happen. They're going to take the $200 million and say, cool, like sign me up. I'm going to be a Portland Trailblazer. And if I really hate it here in a year, I'll request out. But it's not because of the Damian Lillard thing. So I just don't understand this whole got to trade Dame right now. You got to do it hastily. You, you need to wait and get the best offer. Judah, what's your, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Like, I, just, I just don't understand what the point would be of trading him now, giving it to Dame, and getting a less package back than later on because it's not, I just don't think it's going to affect the NBA players. It's just not the way it works. It's a business. Like this is sports. It's a business. They want to play for their money first and foremost. Like it's just like a job that you and I have. Maybe it's the best situation, but a lot of times we're going to look out for the money and we're going to try to get the money. I think that in sports, when it's so much money involved, it's so much easier to say, yeah, I'm going to stay in Portland and I am going to take that money. I just don't see where Dame is going to say, or, you know, if they trade Damian Lillard to the Miami Heat, that later on in the future, Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson are going to say, no, I don't want to play in Portland. I want to go to a bigger market. It just doesn't make any sense to me, Judah. Yeah, it, it doesn't make that much sense either. And you're right about the perception of the franchise. Like, you want to be perceived as a franchise that does good business with other, you know, executives exactly. and does right by their players. But, look, I think... Portland failed Damian Lillard in the sense that they didn't build a championship roster around him um, and give him enough, you know, bites at the apple uh, per se that were like meaningful, juicy bites of a uh, of a delicious apple. Uh, by the way, red delicious apples are kind of disgusting. I found aren't out. they like the worst? They're the worst. I don't know apples. why they're called red de- delicious. So Honeycrisp. They didn't way, give him enough bites of the Honeycrisp championship apple. Uh, so that's where he's going. Wherever he can find that apple, that's where he wants to go, and he thinks he can find it in Miami. But I think we're past that now in terms of, oh, you want to be perceived as an organization that does right by its star players? Well, at least financially they did right by Damian Lillard. It's not like they loved He never took less 
This is not a Tom Brady, New England Patriots situation or a Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs situation. Obviously, I know there's, you know, it's apples and oranges to keep the fruit comparisons going between uh, salary caps in the NBA and NFL, but those are star players at their teams that took less to build a championship roster around them. Did Dame ever even think about doing that? No way in hell. No, and that's, and so yeah. I think they've already established that. Hey, financially, they they do do right by their star players. I agree. And you look at it this way: there's there was never been a spot where there was a contract discussion with Dame. It was always, oh, you're eligible. Here's your max contract yeah. extension, and way in advance. I mean, the dude is getting paid yeah, for I, like the next four or five years. They did right by him and giving that the two year extension that hasn't even kicked in yet. That when he's 37 years old, he'll be making 60-something million dollars. Like, that, that I think, is more of a positive to the Blazers. Yeah, you can, and I will agree with you. The Blazers did wrong by Dame by not putting the best players around him. But they didn't treat him badly. Like, that, I think it's just a misconception that we think that players care more about than they actually do. I think it's a lot more just about, you know, it's your job, it's your money. Can you do that? And then when you get older, yeah, that's when you're trying to win championships. But especially when they're younger. When you're a Scoot Henderson or Shane Sharp, like you're trying to get that max deal. You don't care where it's at. And then you can say loyalty or not, whatever. If you're not good enough, then I'll request a trade. Uh, we'll take some calls on that. 503-417-7575. Somebody please tell me if uh, Damian Lillard, if he if he gets traded to Miami, how that helps the Blazers <laughs> prestige-wise. I, I just don't get it. All right, Sean and Sandy, we'll go uh, get you on here first. Sean, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, we all know that that trade to Miami is a dream because, you know, our best player is better than their best player. And, you know, they're not going to give up when you got to, you want to get something good. You got to give up something good. And Dame's loyalty, he's been bought and paid for. And uh, somebody's going to have to step up. I mean, you know, it's going to be somebody like it's going to be Utah. Now's the time to talk Zion Williamson. You ever want to talk Zion Williamson? Now's the time. Hey, thanks, Sean. Thanks for listening, man. I I agree. I think this is the time where, and I think this, I do think this, Judah, I think the more days that go past, the better side that it is for Trailblazers fans. And like me, that I want the best package available. As more time goes on and on, there's going to be guys that make trade offers. There are going to be teams that come out of maybe nowhere and put out an offer they weren't expecting to put because, you know, they're like, you know, we're a real player in this. And John Canzano, he talked to Bill Riley of ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City on Monday. This is what he said about Danny Ainge. He's going to wait patiently, and then he's going to make a move. I talk to a lot of people. I'm not plugged into the organization, but I know some. And somebody told me the other day that Danny, who's a great poker player, is going to be very patient here and watch what kind of goes out there. But the person I talked to said they want to take a swing at Dane Lillard. There, I think there's a couple teams that have been patiently waiting that Dame asked for the request to trade out. Miami, I think Boston is a team that has been looking at it and says he could potentially be asking out. They're getting their ducks in a row. And I think those teams have their packages ready. Like, if they wanted to make a trade to make a trade, they would. But now I think there's teams like Utah. There's teams like Philadelphia. There could be even a mystery team that I don't know about, the Brooklyn Nets, that are saying... This is a real possibility. Like, the Blazers may not get a good package. If we swoop in right now, we could get Damian Lillard on our team and have him locked in for four more seasons. And I think Portland sees that, and they're going to be patient, patiently waiting for that. And I think it's a great sign. Well, and this, you know, we could flesh this out as the shows <clears throat> develop over the weeks and, and uh, possibly months. But do you think it could bleed into the regular season? 
I mean, we we kind of talked about that, me and John, on Monday. I I think it could. I really do. If 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 by all reports, Dame is dead set on going to Miami. I don't see how they make a trade unless Miami somehow gets a third team involved. And when you do those three and four team deals, it takes a long time. And Dame is one of those players where he's just a baller. Like he likes to play basketball. He, that, that's what he does. It's what he enjoys. It's like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant had requested a trade from Brooklyn. He still played for the Nets. Like I could see where Dame's back on opening night. Is it good for anybody? No, it would not be a good situation for anybody. But you know what? If Dame's dead set on going to Miami or bust, it may be that way. I, I really think it could. I, I, I hope it doesn't come to that, Judah, but it really could. Uh, we'll take another call here. Uh, 503-417-7575. Chad in Portland. Chad, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, y'all? love y'all show. I'm listening to heading out to surf on the upper side from this river in my kayak on my vacation this week. But I'm listening to y'all, and I think that Dame has gotten a fair shake. This talk about, oh, we didn't do right by him, I think is nonsense. I mean, he's made 87 games the last two years, and we gave him a max extension, which he wouldn't have qualified for if he wasn't on the team that drafted him. And, you know, he risked it. So he's risked it. He's got to sit on his biscuit. If he has to, his value isn't going down. So the Blazers have got to wait this out because we could get something nice. I mean, even till February, I'm saying, I, I love Lillard. I got, like, six jerseys sent my kid to his camp. I love him. But we ain't giving up. You know, this uh, piece that we spent, you know, a lot of, invest a lot in for nothing. I'll take it offline. Love you guys. Peace. Thanks, Chad. I I agree 100% with Chad on that. He's a Dame fan. He's got six jerseys. But you know what? He also wants to get the most value for Dame because he's a Blazer fan. And I understand if you're a Dame fan and you're not a Blazer fan and you're going to go with Dame, you say, you know what? Wherever he goes, I'm going to ride with him. That's my squad. Because, you know, a lot of times younger people, like my kids, like that's the way they kind of are. It's like, oh, I choose a player. I'm going to follow them. But I'm a Blazer fan, Judah. I'm a Blazer fan first and foremost. I love Dame. I love it. He's done so much for the community. He's done so much for the franchise. He's hit those game-winning shots to advance the Blazers in the playoffs. But ultimately, I was born in 1987. I've seen a lot of things. I watched the Blazers when they were Clyde Drexler and they made the finals when I was just a little kid. I saw it with Rasheed Wallace, Steve Smith, Scottie Pippen against the Lakers to get my heart broken with the Shaq alley-oop. I lived through it with Brandon Roy, Greg Oden. I'm a huge Brandon Roy fan. And guess what? I've stayed a Blazer fan my whole life. I know Dame is awesome, but once Dame gets traded, the franchise is still going to be run. It's not going to go away. They're not going to move up to Seattle. They're not. You're not going to lose your franchise. So you got to get the most back for Damian Lillard. I totally agree with Chad on that point. Like, get the most that you can and don't give in to Dame. Unfortunately, and it's sad because you know you feel bad for Dame for plenty of reasons because they couldn't get a team around him, and this is how it's going to end. It could turn ugly, which is sad, but at the same time. You got to do his best for your franchise. All right, we'll take a break here. Uh, when we come back, the Blazers, there is some action in free agency. The Blazers, one of their free agents, signed a offer sheet. We don't know the exact details of it, but we want to talk about that. I also want to talk about the Pac-12. It's the one-year anniversary of something. It's a one-year anniversary and something in the Pac-12 that I think is pretty funny. We'll talk about that, X Coming up on the Bald Face Truth of Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Bald face truth here. Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. Judah Newby with me as well. Portland Trailblazer. We're talking about Damian Lillard and the trade request that he made back on the first. Kind of what's going on now. Should the Blazers be dealing him off for, you know, pennies on the dollar to Miami because that's where he wants to go? Or should the Blazers 
hold out. And they should try to just get as much as they possibly can. Trade him to wherever that team is. I'd love to hear from, from you. 503-417-7575. A little more Blazer news here today. Uh, restricted free agent Matisse Thibel, wing that they got at the trade deadline this past season. He assigned a offer sheet with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, there's no reports on how much money he's actually going to make. But what the Mavericks can officially offer is a full mid-level exception, which would pay Matisse Thibel four years, $53 million. Uh, from what I've gathered, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a full mid-level that he's going to receive. The Blazers were looking around the 9 to $10 million mark with Matisse Thibel earlier, and I think is a leverage play by Thibel saying, you know what, I can get a couple extra million per year. I'm going to sign this offer sheet. But it looks like, you know, from everything I've heard, the Blazers will probably uh, match that contract. That's what you get with restricted free agency. As a restricted free agent, Thibel can go out and sign a contract, an offer sheet, and the Trailblazers can match that and bring him back. So, you know, from what I've I've gathered, it seems like it's going to be a little more than, you know, four for four years, 44 million, four years, 40 million, which is about what the Blazers offered. Um Maybe a little less or a little more than what the Blazers offered. And so Thibel is going to get a couple extra million. But I, I, I would imagine I put the odds very highly that Matisse Thibel is back with the Trailblazers this next season um, at a, probably a four year contract. Now, is Matisse Thibel a great player? No, but even with the rebuild, uh, he's still only 26 years old. He's been two times on the all defensive team, which, of course, I have harped on this numerous times. The Trailblazers defense is horrible. And so anytime you can get a good defender, that's great. Uh, the Blazers still have their mid-level exception to give to somebody, and Matisse Seibel is by far the best player that they can do that for. Yeah, there's not very many unrestricted free agents out there left. You know, Restricted-wise, P.J. Washington is out there, but I imagine he will get matched by any contract by the Hornets. Unrestricted free agents, Kelly Oubre Jr., like you want to bring him in as a mid-level? No. Like I think that makes most sense to bring back Matisse Seibel as their mid-level exception. So the Mavericks, the fact that they can't offer any more than that, I think it's a good contract. Blazers uh, you know, have his bird right, so they can go over the salary cap to bring back Matisse Seibel. I, I also think it's a great case of not losing your assets for nothing. And that's a big one in the NBA. In the NBA, you want to keep assets. You want to, you know, you don't want to lose guys for nothing. I think in free agency, when you lose players, we saw this with LaMarcus Aldridge. Sometimes it's hard. And, and Matisse Seibel not on that level, not even close. But Seibel's always going to have a market in the NBA because of his defensive ability. And the fact that he's a solid on-ball defender, elite off-ball, getting steals, getting blocks, I think it's one of those cases where the Blazers, they would rather just bring him back, even if it's a little a little too much of an overpay, and bring him back on the team because he does fit what the Blazers actually need as a wing that can play some defense. Still only 26, still kind of fits the rebuild. So that's what, kind of what I got on that. Uh, Judy, you got any thoughts on Matisse Seibel and the, and the fit with the Blazers? I mean, I imagine he comes back. But you know, I can I see what the Mavericks are doing here. The Mavericks do need a wing defender as well, and Matisse is kind of the best one out there. But it seems like to me, Portland's going to bring him back at whatever contract it is because it's not going to be just overly, overly huge. Well, yeah. Do you, does uh, Tybal strike you as a guy that just is going to go where he's going to get the most money? Because I figure like every NBA guy is that way. I think for the most part, most guys are. But I think with Thibel, because I had heard he had been offered a deal by the Blazers, and it seems like this whatever it is the Mavericks offered him was just a little bit more. So he's like, all right, I'm going to take this offer and I expect the Blazers to bring me back. And if they don't, well, then I get more money. So I, I, I you know, I think it's more just, I think you're right. I think it's a leverage play for Thibault to get as much money as possible, which 
is always great. But I don't think, I think for the Blazers' point of view also, it's not going to be overly expensive where you look at that contract and you're like, man, this is a terrible contract. Like, it's going to be you know, 12, 11, 12 million dollars. Like, is it an overpay? Probably, probably slightly an overpay for uh, Matisse Thibel, but at the end of the day, He's hey, he's fine. We're okay overpaying. We just gave Jeremy five and one sixty. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I I'll tell you what, I'd rather pay Matisse Thibel four for forty eight or four for fifty three than Jeremy Grant five for one sixty. I can tell you that much uh, uh, right now. I also when it comes to the Blazers and restricted free agency, I'm just still uh you know, I've still got the after effects of just the annual swings and misses on some of these guys like Paul Millsap. For like three or four different summers, I feel like yeah. Portland got him on a RFA only for for someone else to match at the eleventh hour. And back then, wasn't it just like like a week long? It was a week long. So and that yeah. was brutal as a fan just to wait and wait and wait, and then that kind of burned you the rest of the summer. So now it's uh, now it's like forty eight hours. So it's it's definitely not as long. And the moratorium ends on Thursday tomorrow when the when the players can officially sign contracts. So it just kind of depends on when Thibel officially signs that contract with Dallas. When the Blazers have to make the decision, whether it's the seventh or the eighth, it'll be coming up. But that's when they'll have to make that decision. And I imagine uh, bring Matisse Thibel back. And smart, smart for Dallas because they needed more perimeter defense, yeah. right, to help out with their situation. So it makes sense for them. It was kind of between him and Grant Williams, I would imagine, because uh, he's a restricted free agent as well. But I think Dallas looked at it and said, I think Thibel fits a little better. Now, I'm surprised they didn't go for Grant Williams because if Grant Williams signs a full mid-level deal, it basically would cost Boston $40 million in a season to bring him back. Cause they're so over the tax uh, with Portland, you know, is kind of known that Thibel is going to be brought back. So that's a little puzzling to me, but you know, good for Matisse Thibel get his a uh, couple extra million dollars. And I imagine he'll be back with Portland. I think it's a good little fit uh, there as well. Now Judah, um, it's a, it's a birthday today. It's a birthday of a one year anniversary for the pac 12. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Uh, I'm going to guess it has something to do with USC UCLA, but I don't know if it, I don't know if that's right. Cause in my head, that was like a June 30th type of move. You, but uh, what do you think? You would be wrong. It is not the USC UCLA move. It is a one year anniversary of the PAC 12, a PAC 12 tweet. It's a tweet by the PAC 12 in which they said the PAC 12 board of directors met this morning and authorized the conference to immediately begin negotiations for its next media rights agreements. That was one year today that they are immediately negotiating their next media rights agreements deal. Juno, one year later, I think the Pac-12 is in the same exact spot. I, I don't think it's been any better, right? I mean, if we're judging back on June or July 5th, 2022, and I retweeted this out from the official Pac-12 Twitter account, that's what they said. They are immediately beginning negotiations. One year later, I feel like we're in the same exact spot. Man, I don't know... I don't think that they would have wanted to be in the exact same spot. I think they have tried, but George and the decision makers in all of this with the Pac-12, they seem to give a flying F about what we think or what everybody Can else Can you imagine thinks. tweeting that out, though? Like, we are negotiating right now. One year later, yeah, immediately, we're in, we're in the same exact spot. Boy, I would love to have that kind of timeline with other things. You right. Know, tell my wife, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and take care of that. One year later, have you taken care of it? Hey, no, Steve, but yeah. hey, don't rush me, okay? This is a big deal I'm working on. Hey, Steven, have you cut the, have you cut the shrubs yet? Yeah, I'm immediately on that. I'll be <laughs> immediately I'll be, on that. Next, next summer, yeah. 
and you did like the air quotes. You're like, I'm immediately on that. When I say immediately, I mean Pac-12 tweet immediately. I'm nego- that buys me at least a year, if not more. I'm negotiating. You know, I'm, I'll mow the I'm lawn. I'm going to talk to some neighbors. Yeah. I'm going to talk to some other plants, go to a few Home Depots. How- just kind of sets the waters. I'll get an offer sheet on there from a Lowe's employee, and then I'll rescind the offer, and then I'll be ready after about 14 yeah, months. Yeah, do I need to rent the tools? Should yeah. I buy it? How short are the shrubs need to be? I yeah. need to ask some people about I'm gonna this. I'm going to go visit another gardener in Texas, and then I'll come back and yeah. figure it out. A San Diego, uh, San Diego gardener will 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 say he's going to help me, <laughs> yeah. and then he's going to rescind the help, right? And then right. try and to go back to his old his uh, old employer and be like, "Hey, can I still work for you again?" And he'll be on an island by the time it's all it's, said and done pruning. It's just I, I, look, and Gonzano's been on this since day one. He says there's nothing to worry about, right? He put out a he put out a column today on JohnKonzano.com talking about. San Diego State and the sloppiness that President Adela De La Torre uh, has shown in potentially trying to get the Aztecs to the Pac-12. Uh, go ahead and check that out at johnnygazano.com. It's actually really good. I had a couple takeaways from it I want to talk about. Uh, first of all, you know, talking about they put out two letters now. The first letter uh, from the President De La Torre, Torre she said um, that they were leaving the Mountain West. Right, like that's what it was. That was a report. They were leaving the Mountain West. They're looking to go. Then she wrote a second letter saying, having to explain that that's not what exactly what she meant. I didn't mean it. I I retracted. I retract my statement of saying we're leaving because we're not leaving. We want to stay. It's like how do how does that happen? Is that bad leadership? I, I, that's a genuine question. Like, is that is it just bad that she would put that out there and then uh, you know, rescind it right away? And is that why it fits well in Pac-12 because they have bad leadership? I don't know, and, and and John also talked about this, San Diego State. We forget about this. Back in 2012, they gave notice that they were leaving to go to the Big East. They then reversed that and applied for reinstatement back in the Mount West. So this isn't the first time this has happened of San Diego State. I forgot about that. Yeah, and it's just it, it's just it's just a bad look, and it's just sloppiness all around, and it kind of fits with what the Pac-12 has done. Is that nothing's on schedule? We have no idea what's going on. San Diego State thinks they're in the conference. But they're not actually in the conference, and then they have to say, "Oh no, we're not. We're not in the conference anymore." I don't know, Judah. It just it all just kind of bothers me as like a Pac-12 fan, like to see the ineptitude that the conference has shown. And like I want to believe it because you know we have Jonkins out. He's right on top of it all the time, saying, "Don't worry about it. Like they're gonna get the media rights deal done." Yada yada yada. But at the same time, the back of my head, I'm thinking. When have they proven to do anything correctly? Yeah. They haven't. Well, it's an unfortunate spot because I like George Klyovkov when he's come on the show, when we've had a chance to interview him, Pac-12 media days or phone calls or whatever. He comes across as likable. He comes across as competent, as someone that's plugged in and networked. He brings in that you know rich you know media professional history He's very well into spoken it. too. Very well spoken, and maybe it's also against the black backdrop of what we had in Larry Scott. Klyovkov shines a little brighter. I'm willing to see that. And then the other unfortunate part and frustrating part as a Pac-12 fan is so much of this, you know, behind the scenes stuff. It it's behind the scenes, and we yeah. don't really get a clear picture into what that is, and we just have to wait and wait and wait for the final resolution, but we've been waiting for a year now. Exactly. Like you said, it's it's hard not to get frustrated, hard not to get impatient, and then when you look at the optics of it, it's hard not to turn the optics to to a negative prism with this conference because, A, that's the way it's been for, you know, a decade, and, B, when you're not really saying anything public on the record, when you're not really giving your fan base and your, your institution something on the record to ease a little bit of tensions, 
That's the way people are going to feel. So the final result better be kick ass or else, you know, we're, we're going to be a little bit frustrated by all this. And, 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 you know, what exactly does that mean? I mean, it's got to be a comparable number to the Big 12. But then it also, I would think, I would think that expansion plays into that too. And if it's not San Diego State and SMU, either immediately or in the next couple of years, at, at this point, that feels like kind of a loss, at least to me. I, I understand, like, wanting to say at 10 teams, I guess. But it would have been cooler, in my opinion. I think it would be better for the conference, in my opinion, to add the Aztecs and to add SMU. And when you're going to come up short of that, if you do come up short of that for one reason or another, to me that goes in the L column. I 100% agree. I, I, it's just the optics of it, right? Like all these other teams and the conferences are ga- are gaining teams. You're the only conference that lost teams. And I think that is optically it's a bad look. Um, you know. I will say there's some other good news. I would put this in the good news department. Uh, Bob Thompson, frequent guest here on this show, uh, he he retweeted a uh, a, a app an, from Apple. It's a job opening for a live operations technical manager with sports, so, you know, with a with a focus on sports production. Does that mean something? Does that mean that's the Pac-12? They're trying to get it ready for that. I don't know. I hope so. I want to say yeah. Pac-12 and Apple. I think that'd be a good deal. Um, one other thing that stood out to me in the in the quick column by Kanzano, real quick, I want to just before we take a break. Um, the Mountain West, their presidents are going to be meeting on July 17th. And Mountain West Commissioner Gloria Neveres, she said that uh, the president of San Diego State, Adela De La Torre, will not be invited to the meeting as they'll be talking about the status of San Diego State and the Mountain West. Is San Diego State is going to be out left out in the dust here because they <laughs> they assumed they were going to make the Pac-12 and they left the conference then didn't leave the conference. I don't know. I think it's a bad look. San Diego State just has no idea what they're doing right now. And then SMU, you look at them like they're worried about San Diego State because they were they look at them and say they're a perfect partner to come over with us. Like let's bring a team in the California, let's bring a team from Texas, and let's join the Pac-12 together. And now San Diego State's kind of ruining it for SMU. It's just a weird look uh, all around that. We don't know what's going to happen, but hopefully. Judah by Vegas, July 21st, Pac-12 media day, which uh, Kazan will be down on. Hopefully they have some type of deal. Oh, that's the thing. We're talking deadlines with Damon, the Blazers, et cetera. And the draft came and went and, you know, will he be traded now or will he be traded when the season comes? Like, I don't really know if deadlines mean as much as I thought they meant anymore when it means to urgency. I'm starting more and more to believe that. It's negotiations. Exactly. I'm more and more in the camp that we're going to get to the 21st and still have nothing concrete. And it's just going to be a freaking mess all over again. Because I've been saying for months, I was like, well, at least we'll have something by Pac-12 Media Day. (laughs) And here we are, dude, about two weeks away or so. And I'm just like... Well, maybe not, and they will just shut down any questions about it, or they'll just have the talking points and recycle them, you know, 10,000 times. Here's my official stance on it. If the Pac-12 doesn't have a media deal by July 21st, the Pac-12 media day, I think they're blowing up. I think I think they're done. Yeah. I think they're done. That, that's just my <laughs> official take on that. I just rather hope Ugh. something. They have they got hat. They got it. Imagine going into Vegas, Pac-12 media day, everyone's saying you're going to be blown up and then have no media rights deal. It just, imagine that. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine it. If Pac-12 does that, they are crazy, and I think they're done for that at that point. Uh, all right, we'll take a break here. Uh, we got the big splash coming up next. It's gonna, uh, we're going to be talking about a sport that's coming back. I'm a little excited about it. I know my kids are. I know my brother is as well. You, you know, we'll be, hopefully I can bet on it. That's, that's the main thing. Uh, it's big splash coming up next on the Bald Face Truth. I'm Stephen Vaughn on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano as John is out today. 
It's the summertime, and that means it's uh, time to try some new things, whether that's new food or new activities, get out and do some things, or watch new sports, or I guess old sports that are coming back. I mean, right now I'm watching Summer League basketball, sweating this game, put a bet on it. Why Why did I do that? I don't know. I, I wanted to, but now I'm sweating it, and I think that's what it is for me. If I can gamble on it, I'll, I'll start watching it. But uh, ESPN, they're going to be bringing back uh, something I remember watching as a kid. I'm a little bit excited about uh, and we're going to talk about it right now, as we do every day. Biggest thing you need to know, Big Splash. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, Slam Ball, Judah. Slam Ball is coming back to ESPN. It was announced a while ago, uh, but it is going to be back on ESPN. And they announced that most of the games, the, when they'll be playing and what channels they'll be on. Uh, most of these games will be on during the summer on ESPN Plus, not on the ESPN linear channels, although some of those games will be on linear, linear TV, which will be most, the games will mostly be taking place Thursday through Sunday in July and August. We'll stream exclusively on ESPN Plus with some of the events, including like their championship game and uh, just weekly things. Every Thursday night, they'll have a game on the ESPN Linear Networks. Um, but ESPN is actually taking a bet that this is going to be successful in year two. This is what they did with the XFL as well. Um, they're not expecting huge ratings and huge numbers in this first year, but they have committed two years of this um, to the to the slam ball, hoping a growth and improvement in season two. The company then will likely reevaluate its relationship with it after that. Now, slam ball... For those that don't know, it's basketball and trampolines combined as one. Uh, there's, I believe, three or no, there's four trampolines uh, around the hoop and people are jumping. They're flying off the trampolines and trying to dunk on people, trying to block people. Collisions in midair. It's kind of everything we like in sports. Like it's competitive. It's fast. It's physical. People are going to get hurt. But I feel people are going to get seriously hurt. I remember that's what happened last, you know, when it first came out back in the 90s, I want to say, like late 90s, maybe early 2000s. I remember watching it as like a kid. Um, there's going to be some massive injuries, I feel like, with some torn ACLs and stuff. Because when you're like trying to jump as high as you can and dunk on people while jumping on trampolines, it's going to be dangerous. But, Judah, I tell you what, I'm a little excited about it. I know my kids know about it. Like, they're excited to watch people jump off trampolines because I did that as a kid. Me and my brother, we would, uh, we put, we had the hoop outside and we put just like one of the mini trampolines, you know, the individual trampolines in front of the hoop and we would jump off that and dunk. And so when slam ball came out, we're like, oh man, we'd be so good at this. And then you watch these professionals do it. It's going to be kind of fun. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there's no real, no real quote unquote real sports besides baseball really on right now. Uh, you know, you got summer league basketball, so, you know, stuff like this, you know, I'm okay. Maybe I'll give it a shot. And then. I'll watch it for a week, and then I'll be like, well, this is stupid, and then I'm not going to watch it anymore. But um, Slam Ball, you in or out on it, Judah? Oh, I'm all in on it. I, yeah. just, I can't wait until the first Stephen A. Smith, you know, <laughs> Slam Ball take in the middle of the summertime when things are slow. They're like, Damian Lillard needs to go play Slam Ball. He needs to ask out of Portland to go play Slam Ball. Man, I mean, enough of this. Like, that's that's what we're going to get to with uh, the ESPN crossover content. I'm but, trying to find out what the team names are. I, I don't know if they yeah, have them yet. And look, Roger Goodell better watch his back because, hey, if this thing takes off, it might, uh, it might usurp the NFL as America's favorite game. The Blazers should trade Dame to the Rumble. That's what they need. <laughs> to the Rumble. To the Ozone. Where are the odds on that? The Lava. 
I don't remember it when it came out, but I uh, Slam Ball when it came out as much. But seeing the highlights and the clips on Twitter, you know, whenever it, uh, whenever cool stuff happens, it's like this is an actual thing. Like, yeah, I could spend five to ten minutes just zoning out and watching some Slam Ball. Why not? I think it's a perfect streaming product as well. You know, it doesn't have to be you know over the air, but. Uh, yeah, good on ESPN for for firing a bunch of people and then signing up Slam Ball. I think that really works. Yeah, uh, started in 1999, airing games on Spike TV. Remember Spike TV? Yeah, if uh, George Klyovkov's like, wait, what What deal did Slam Ball get? Ooh, can the Pac-12 get can on I, Spike can we TV? we get Spike? little Spike Ion action mixed with a little ESPN Plus? But yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, it, not that it ever got really popular, but I mean, it got popular-ish as like a little, little niche sport that you just watch. It's something at nighttime. And I, I think the summertime is perfect for it to be on. I think you are right on it. Like ESPN Plus is a perfect format for it. Like people aren't going to be like, you know, unless you're a big fan, like you're not going to be like, oh yeah, but I need to watch Slam Ball. Yeah. But no, so, no, I didn't know. So no one's like, like really a big fan yeah. of Slam Ball. But if it's on and you know it's on your Fire Stick or your Apple device yeah. or whatever on your phone, you're like, yeah, sure, why not? I think it's a fun little thing. Uh, I'm excited. I mean, there's just some crazy collisions that yeah. happen, and just some of the crazy dunks will be fun. Um, it makes you laugh. That's you know, it, it makes does. you laugh, and it's kind of cool. That's it, all you really need. It does, and it's gonna be, uh, it's just gonna be fun. I'm excited for it. So we'll see. And also the, the team names. Uh, are pretty funny too. The Gryphons, the Mob, the Ozone, Rumble, Lava, Slashers, Wrath, and Buzzsaw. <laughs> only two, buzzsaw only <laughs> two, only two teams with an S on the end. So those are the only two teams I like. Uh, so That's I'll, right. I'll you're be, big. You're big. You have to have an S in your name because well, you, you can't be a mob. I'm yeah, a, I'm well, a member. You say you're a member of the mob. Well, that's a different. That's a different story. I don't think you, you don't talk about that stuff. No one mentions that type of family. Buzzsaw I, against a, the mob. Yeah, I'm a buzzsaw. Gosh. No, I'm a I'm a slasher. I'm a slashers fan. I'm going slashers this season. I'm going to be uh, breaking down slashers game tapes, and we'll be talking about it on the BFT all summer long. All right, we'll take a break here. When we come back, uh, hour number two. I got more Blazers stuff I want to talk about. We're going to play some punch and audio. Summer League, NBA, Blazers, what do we watch for? I can tell you exactly what to watch for in the NBA Summer League as a former employee right here on the Ball Face Truth Radio Network. What a lovely July 5th it is today, the day after the 4th of July. I'm Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby as well with me, filling in for John Canzano. we got a big hour two coming up. Trailblazers, they start their Summer League on Friday against the Houston Rockets and a men Thompson who was rumored to be with the, maybe with the Blazers at some point, but uh, they'll, they'll tip off on Friday. I will talk about what to look for in summer league. Cause it's a lot different than maybe what you think it would be. This coming from a guy who worked for the trailblazers understands that type of situation. There's things to look for when you watch NBA summer league. I'll talk about that. What I'm looking for, especially out of some of the Portland trailblazers. I also want to talk about um, the super bowl. And the turf. Remember how slippery it was? There's been some things coming about about that. Uh, but right now, as we do every day, Judah, myself, we go on the internet. We go on TV. We go in shows and movies and books, whatever it is, audio books. It doesn't matter. But we find the best audio. Then we play it. We call it punchy audio. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. 
Well, the good thing about this job is, Judah, is I've been watching a lot of YouTube people, and I've been watching a lot of things for college football that I didn't know were available. I think if you listen to this program, you hear Josh paid a lot. I like him. This is a new guy I like. His name is JD Pickle. I don't know if it's like pickle, like the food, but it's spelled like pick, like he's making picks and then E-L-L. But he's of Odd 3 Sports. He was talking about Dan Lanning and the Ducks and how they're really going to love the expanded college football playoff that's coming around the corner. Punch it. The college football playoff, when it expands now, that is going to bless the good people in Eugene. Because the way they're building this thing, when they get to the college football playoff, there's that narrative that's like kind of the soft Pac-12 and they're going to show up and get ran through by whatever SEC or Big Ten team they play. And that may be true historically, but the way Dan Lanning's building this thing, I don't expect that to be the case for these Ducks. I don't, especially long-term. JD, loving the Ducks when the college football playoff expands, not only to get there, but to compete. Just love what Dan Lanning is building in Eugene. We've talked about this before, but I think it's really important. And last season, the Ducks defense just wasn't very good, especially on third down. 120th, I believe, in the nation. Getting off the field on third downs, and we saw what Michael Penix Jr. Washington did to them down in Eugene. That was the big story. They couldn't get off the field. Then Penix made some plays, but all the recruiting numbers are saying, man, this Duck defense is going to be good. And now they're getting transfers from the transfer portal and the depth is growing, especially on that defensive line. It's something that Pac-12 schools haven't had in a long time. Dane Lanning trying to build an SEC-ish team out in Eugene. You know, I think when the college football playoff expands, whether the Pac-12 gets San Diego State and SMU or whether they stay at 10, I think it's going to be a blessing, like he said, for the Ducks. They're going to be the number one team in the conference, and they're going to have you know, them in Utah are going to be the real front runners to get that bid every single season out of the Pac-12. And even if they don't get it for winning the conference, I think you can get in as an at-large because Oregon does have that reputation around the nation of being you know, an elite, elite-ish team. Like They are really good. They're on that level. So I think... The cultural play of expanding is going to be big for the Ducks. They're going to get a lot of appearances. And I think J.D. Uh, Pickle is right on on this one, Judah. I think Beaver fans will listen to that, too. And they're like, okay, all right. Doubt us again. The reason that Oregon is so exciting to talk about is because the recruiting will always be up there. It will always be really good, if not great. Right now, that 2024 class is almost lining up to be elite like top five in the country maybe top three in the country type of class that they're getting who doesn't like to talk about incoming recruiting classes big stars and and it's the unknown you know you can talk yourself into that for days and yet at the end of the day i think an expanded playoff and i mentioned this a little bit with you on the shows uh, that we did last week it may actually highlight not who the best recruiters are but who the best week-to-week game planners are the scheme teachers are because if you're a five seed in an expanded playoff in one week, you've got to face the 12. Maybe you beat them and the next week you face the, uh, you know, whoever that is, maybe the, the, if you play the one at some point, or if you're playing the five or the, the four, it's going to test your ability to game plan from a week to week against from a good team to a great team to a really great team. And if you don't have that quiver in your or that arrow in your quiver, the way that NFL coaches are accustomed to having, the way that I think Kirby Smart and Nick Saban have because they're in the SEC, then I don't know that you are going to make very deep runs in the college football playoff. And then at the end of the day, it always it, it still comes back to your quarterback play. You've got a quarterback that A stays healthy and Bo didn't last year, and then B performs at his highest level against really strong competition week over week. 
I almost think the Beavers are in a better position from that standpoint. Not the recruiting you know, floor that Oregon has, but from that standpoint, the game plan, the scheming, the teaching, and I think the overall quarterback play, um, even though Bo, Bo's probably got a higher ceiling, but he got hurt. You know, I, I think that Oregon State's got a d- chance to to make some noise in future playoff expansion as well. That's a great point. Like, I that's a, that's a really good point there, Judah. Like, I think now with the college football playoff expanding, we're never going to get like an outlier coach, G- Gene Chizik, winning the winning the national championship. Like, you have to have a good coach to be able to game plan week by week, right? Like Gene Chizik's a nice example, right? Like, like, like he would never win a a college football. Mark Helfrich. You know, won a playoff game. Helfrich, exactly. But he couldn't win the... He went to a national title Couldn't game. win the second game. And I, I think that is going to play out a lot where, yeah, these teams that are maybe ranked 10, 11, 12, they can pull off an upset against a good team because they have a better coach. And well, and, you, and you might be right. We, it's still unknown about Dan Lane and Kenny Coach, but, man, he's got the recruiting part down. And if he can coach, we'll find out, I think, this season, if that defense rises a little bit, maybe he is on that level. I mean, some people think he's that good of a coach. He's a great recruiter, a but I know a recruiter and that staff is just outstanding recruiters, but it's the recruiting versus teaching, you know, that, uh, that I want to buy into. The other thing is like, how many times are you getting that, that buy? If Oregon right. is consistently getting a top four slot, that's a lot different than having to play as a five or a six, even if you do win your conference. Yeah. I mean, you look at these teams like Oregon state last year. I mean, if it was expanded, Oregon state's the 12th seed. You, you don't want to face that team. Like you don't want to no. face Jonathan Smith. As the five seed, it's a, what's what we call a live dog. God, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. You're gonna get some matchups that are blowouts, but I, I think at the end of the day, like I wasn't huge on the expansion playoff, but like I'm kind of down with it. It's gonna be it's gonna have some good matchups. Good uh, show the show the good coaching staff. So I do like that. Paul Feinbaum, SEC honk that he is. He uh, was talking about the Pac-12 and how he thinks they're in big trouble with the Pac-12 media rights. And we talked about this. It's the one year anniversary of the Pac-12. Immediately negotiated, negotiating uh, their Pac-12 media rights deal, Paul Feinbaum says they're going to be in big trouble. Punch it. I was with the president of the University of Arizona a couple weeks ago in D.C. at a, at a summit about NIL. And I asked him because he was, he, was he was the host. And he said, I think we're really close to a deal. <laughs> now, John, how many times have you reported that? Uh, all that tells me is that they're going nowhere. The fact that it, if they get one, it won't be a good one. And I think that league is very diminished. And you still have rumors all over the place. Uh, the day I was with uh, the, uh, the Arizona president, there were rumors that uh, Arizona and Colorado were heading to the Big 12. You have the continual Oregon-Washington rumors. So I, I, I don't think they'll ever be able to put those fires out, even with a new deal, even if it's with Apple or Amazon or, or some, you know, a cobbled together group it's it they're still in big trouble look he's wrong right now but it could be where he's right if the pac-12 like i said on july 21st the pac-12 media day they don't have anything to put out there saying we got a media rights deal done i may agree with paul feinbaum at that point and say you know what the pac-12 is in big trouble but they still got a little bit of time and john canzano says that they're still working on a deal they're still all on the same page the pac-10 as of now is still all together and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe John. He's very locked in on this stuff. He talks to everybody. He wouldn't put that out there if he didn't believe it. Now, I will say, like I said, July 21st, Pac-12 Media Day, that's kind of the deadline for me because it's been a full year since the Pac-12 said we're going to immediately start negotiating rights. It just hasn't worked. So I don't believe Feinbaum right now, but I tell you what, 
by July 21st, I may believe Paul Feinbaum, which makes me think that I am wrong because I shouldn't believe Paul Feinbaum in anything, but I will be on Paul Feinbaum's team. Adrian Wojnarowski talking about the Portland Trail Blazers and Damian Lillard. And just like I've been saying, just like Judah's been saying, Blazers need to get the best package back for Dame. You can't just give in and give him to the heat, punch it. Uh, but you look back at deals, whether it was Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Donovan Mitchell, any of those deals, they were they were teams that had been rebuilding, yeah. that had drafted high and had Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, uh, had uh, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson. Uh, Cleveland or Cleveland sends uh, Lori Market into Utah. If you're Portland, you've got to get one of that caliber of player in your yeah. mind. And then good draft picks. But again, there could be a point where Portland looks around and says, Miami is the best offer we have. And so then you've got to proceed at that point. But certainly for now, Portland's taking its time, canvassing the market, uh, and seeing if they can come up with a package uh, that uh, is better than what Miami's best package is. And that's what I was saying. I'm, I'm saying this right now. If the Blazers like the Miami Heat package, they would have accepted it. But they don't like it. They don't want Tyler Hero on their team. That package is always going to be there. So don't just do the trade right now. Go out, see who else is available. Maybe there's another team that comes out of nowhere and we don't know about it. Maybe it's Boston who says, you know what? We really need Damian Lillard. We don't want to give Jalen Brown the Supermax contract because guess what? He hasn't signed the Supermax contract yet. It hasn't been offered. That's kind of newsworthy there. He's a guy that they thought, well, you know, they're going to bring him back. He hasn't been offered that contract yet. Maybe the Celtics say, we want to sign and trade Jalen Brown or try to trade him somewhere else and bring in Dame Lillard to pair him with Jason Tatum. Maybe that's the Celtics. Maybe they're going to get in the deal. Maybe it's somebody else, but don't just give in to the heat. And we'll just talk about that right there. That package is going to be there. Just wait it out. Wait it out and try to see what else is out there by the end of the summer. If it's if it's still there by the start of the season, guess what? Dame's locked in for four more years. You don't have to trade him right now due to my off base with this. I mean, what, I mean, it just seems so obvious to me to wait it out and get the best package available rather than just give in and give it to the Miami Heat who don't need help. Miami is great as they are. They're a great organization. Maybe the best in all of the NBA. Why help them out? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I don't see a direct Portland-Miami trade having the benefits that Portland needs in the get back. So the three team deal I think is imminent. I just it might be a four team deal. It like could, it, it could get, have a lot of webs to it. I just I also wonder for Portland like, you know, the players you get back is one thing, but the future draft picks I think is another. You've got to be able to get the future firsts from teams that are going to be picking high in the lottery. Like that's that's really what you want because, you know, getting future firsts from 16 through 30 I mean, I value that at what, like 50% of what a lottery pick would be? If yeah. that, I mean, obviously, you know, picks in the lottery itself vary in their value, but I don't, I'm not really interested in picks in the first round in a Dame trade that are ultimately going to land at 27, 28, 24. Like, no, that's not enough for me. Like, it, if that's the case, then give me seven of them. <laughs> but if I'm going to get a few multiple first-round picks, you better damn well be sure that they're, you know, sniffing top 12, top 10. And we're talking about Damian Lillard here. Like, Dame's awesome. You can't just give him up for nothing. And, and he touched about this. All these trades, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Donovan Mitchell. That's a Damian Lillard level. Like he's above Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz got Laurie Markin back. All-star. The Blazers need to get some type of player back as well. Like you can't. And, and if it's not Tyler Hero, which they don't believe it is, 
you got to get something back. You got to get that player. Maybe it is in Houston. Maybe it's Jabari Smith Jr. Maybe you think he's going to be great. I think that'd be pretty nice. I mean, there's been rumors. Bill Simmons talked about this, but I think he just wants Dame to be in Boston. So that's what he's thinking of. But I, I think there's been. But, but any three team deal involving Houston, I think is interesting. Yeah. Houston, Houston wants to win. They're paying Fred Van Vliet 130 million. They're paying Dylan Brooks 80 million for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but they are. Ime Udoka is their coach. They want to win. Like I think Houston's going to be a buyer. That's what I'm saying. You hold out and there's going to be a team that maybe we don't expect that can get it in this three-team deal and sneak in uh, in front of Miami. Speaking of that, Alan Hahn, he talked about this on ESPN as well. My, he says Miami has a lot to be worried about as a team from a, tween, from a team swooping in on Dame. Miami's been preparing for this for a long time, but just like the Donovan Mitchell deal, there could be a team that swoops in, punch it. But they have been all in on this. They have to figure out a way, and the only way this gets done is with a third team. Now, who wants to help Miami? What's in it for me, a lot of teams are going to say, in trying to make this deal go down. But Portland does want to acquiesce to Damian Lillard's request, which is going to Miami first. But the longer this goes, let's remember what happened last year with Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell was a lock to go to the Knicks. He wanted to come home. He wanted to be in New York. It was done. There were no other competition for him. And then Cleveland swooped in at the end and took him because the Knicks couldn't make a deal. That's what Miami has to worry about. And this is what I'm talking about. The NBA is a weird thing. A lot of times players get exactly what they want in the NBA. They say, I want to go to this team. They get traded to that team. But you don't have to do that. You really don't. And the Trailblazers are in a place where Damian Lillard is locked in for four more years. He doesn't have the leverage that he quite would probably want. Right? I think if Dame had one year left on his contract, he could say, I'm going to Miami. We'll do something about it. And the Blazers have to pull this trigger. But right now, with so many years left in the contract, is Dame just going to sit out? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to sit out another year at the age of 32, 33 years old. The Blazers need to just weigh this out. They need to weigh it out. A team could swoop in just like Cleveland did with Donovan Mitchell. Nobody expected Cleveland to be good the season before. They're right on the doorstep, just missed out in the playoffs. They needed to make a big splash. They go out, they get Donovan Mitchell. They're the four seed this past season. Is there a team that's just like that? Is it Utah who just missed out on the play in? Is it Houston who's making a run? There's going to be another team, Judah. The Blazers are doing the right thing right now. I'm very, I'm very happy with the way Joe Cronin is going about this. And I don't want to give credit to the Blazers. I don't want to give credit to Jody Allen and Burt Cold. But I'll tell you what, the longer, the longer this goes on, the more positive I'm thinking about this whole situation. Yeah, and if there's any leverage that Portland has, which is not a ton, but it's some, it's the fact that he hasn't, he doesn't have a no trade clause. Right. Lillard, he's not Bradley like, Beal. Was like Beal had a no trade clause for, Lord knows why. Unbelievable. Good on you, Washington, for screwing that one up. But Dame doesn't have no trick, so he might say it's Miami and it's only Miami. But you haven't, you don't have a no trade clause, so we're under no obligation to actually make that happen for you. You know, unless it's gonna get bring us back maximum value. This is the whole reason that you either have or don't have a no trade clause. And without a no trade clause, I think Joe Crone is under no obligation whatsoever to accommodate Dame's require. I mean, Pat Riley's in Dame's ear. He's in Aaron Goodwin's ear saying, this is what you should do. You should say, I only want to go to Miami because it hurts the Blazers leverage. But I think the other side of that coin is, well, this is the exact reason why you don't have a no trade clause is because we don't have to acquiesce. It's not like he'll sit out 
if we trade you to Brooklyn, what will you do? Sit out in Brooklyn? You really think Damian Lillard's just going to sit out or not play for a team that that ends up training for him? Like, I don't think he would do that. And you got to be able to, you know, be at the poker t- table and be able to call people's bluffs sometimes. And I think Joe Cronin's going to have to do that. That is pungent audio. And I've been hearing this, Judah, as well. Like, it's, and I've been pounded on and saying Joe Cronin needs to take the best offer available and look to shop him somewhere else. But I also have heard that he's working with the Heat. He's working with Dame. He's working with Aaron Goodwin to try to get Dame to the Heat because you know what? Damian Lillard has been so important to the franchise that yeah, you do want to do right by him. I don't think it hinders anything if he goes somewhere else that a player is not going to want to come to Portland. But you do want to help him out. You want to try as much as you can. In best case scenario, you send him to Miami. You send him to the Eastern Conference. You see him twice a season. You don't have to worry about it. I think that's the best case for everybody. And that's why I do think Miami is still the favorite to get Damian Lillard. Like betting-wise, yeah, they're a big favorite. And I would say most likely he's going to go to Miami. They'll figure out a three-team, a four-team deal. They'll figure something out. But I do know that the Blazers are working with Dane to try to get him to Miami. And I think that is important. But at the same time, you got to do his best with the franchise. And if Miami can't get the assets available that the Blazers need, you got to look other places too. There's a difference between working with Dame, working with Goodwin to get him to Miami and agreeing to the first, you know, trade off for that Miami. They're just giving in, right? And and letting Miami have you for whatever they want. Like, big difference between those two things. And I think Dame and Goodwin probably understand that and know that. And that's a lot of good faith efforts being made here, you know, um, after the the trade request. So I'm with you. I think he'll ultimately end up in Miami. But if he does, when he does, no way it's going to be a two-team deal. I mean, it's going to be three or more. It's going to be three or four. And at that point, that's when it gets exciting, though, as a Blazer fan, because now you're like, all right, if you're looping in a third or fourth team, who are those teams going to be and what kind of assets do they have and what do we want? And let's actually commit to this thing. That's when you can get the package that you want, and that's when you can really – start imagining the rebuild and saying, okay, well, this guy fits, this guy fits. Maybe we need this type of player. I I agree with you. Three team, four team, that's where it's at. And you mentioned something I think, you know, it's also probably within Portland's best interest to send him to the Eastern Conference, isn't it? Like that's that the Utah part is interesting and they might have the best asset, but we're talking same division, let alone same conference. Isn't that a little weird? I've been on Utah since the start. I have uh, monetarily, I have bet on Utah to get Damian Lillard. But yes, that is the one downfall is in the division, four games against Damian Lillard. He's going to go for 50 in each of those games. Like, he's going to kill the Blazers, and I know that Blazers fans would hate it. Well, but are you okay with that if he does it for a year or two? I'm and the o- fact I'm that okay when you're that. ready to compete, maybe he'll have aged out by then. And that's that's my thinking is in two to three years when the Blazers hopefully are hitting that stride, when Scoot and Shane Sharp are 22-23, and they're competing for playoff spots, just like the Thunder are, right? The Thunder made the play-in last season. The Blazers are in that type of situation. Dame's going to be at the end of his contract. Not saying he's not going to be great, but he's going to be on the back end of his career. And I think that's fine. I'm okay with that because I'm not expecting wins this season out of Portland. In two, three years, I'll be expecting wins. And at that point, Dame's not going to be killing the Blazers all the time. 503-417-7575. You want to talk about Dame. You want to talk about Dan Lanning. You want to talk about the Ducks. You want to talk about anything? Feel free to call and we'll get you on here. We'll go to the phones right now. Pat Longview wants to talk about Dan Lanning and the Ducks. Pat, what's going on, man? Uh, not a lot, but... Uh... My thing with Dan Lanning, even when he was named coach and you watched the assistants who he went out and got, everything said recruiting, 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 recruiting. Nothing said, hey, that's a great coach. 
that's a great assistant. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what, and he won today, and I think it showed when uh, Oregon went back east. You can't coach. You're in trouble. Pat, what are uh, what are your expectations for the Ducks this year? What would be a, considered a good season? I th- I think they make a. Eh, I think they. I think they get two or three losses. All right. For starters, even as good as they are, you can talk about the defense being. P- uh, a lot better, potentially. I want to see them play on the field against a good team. We're not there yet. All right, yeah, thank, thank you. And my big thing is, look at what happened against the Huskies last year. Yeah. Pat, thanks for calling in, man. And uh, he's right. The Huskies, they uh, they crushed the Ducks on the third downs, and they scored, what, 40-plus points against them? And we'll find out week two, Judah. That is an underrated tough game for the Ducks week two at Texas Tech. Uh, Tyler Shuck, former Duck, great. Going to be taking on uh, the Oregon Ducks and the Red Raiders. It's going to be a great matchup. It's going to prove you know, an early test for Dan Lane in that defense. Can he resurrect that defense, become a really good defense uh, this season? Pat saying two, three losses. You know, their win total, nine and a half. I think that's probably about right, but... If that happens, the Ducks are nine and three this season. I think a lot of Duck fans are not going to be happy about that. Well, and it's college football, and so of course they won't be happy about it. Wins and losses are weighted differently, you know. If the three losses are to Texas Tech, Oregon State, and Washington, oh, like the worst, fire, the fire Dan ever. Landing tweets will be big. But if if the three if they somehow beat UW, beat Oregon State, you know, if they lose three games, they're probably not beating both UW and Oregon State, but. You know, if they at least avoid what happened last year, losses to their two biggest rivals late in the season, if they can avoid that, then it's already a bit of a successful step forward because those rivalry games, they're weighted differently, man. I mean, they they matter a lot more than just your your ordinary week eight game at Arizona. And to Pat's point, Tosh Poy, the defensive coordinator, like he's not known to be X's nose guy. He's a recruiting guy, right? And so to see the yeah. defense struggle as much as they did with Dan Lanning, who you would hope would come in and build that defense a little bit, it's disappointing when you go out and you get a recruiter, not the X's and O's, and then it doesn't work out. We need to see Dan well, Lanning that defense improve next season. And I do, I'm optimistic that he will. I think it's a good question, though, and it's a worthy question. Like, can Dan Lanning actually teach the defense to his guys? But now he's got, you know, a second wave of guys that he wants, you know, via transfer yeah. portal or uh, or in the recruiting uh, world, but most notably in the portal with guys Jordan like Birch, Birch yeah. up front, a couple of guys they added to the back end, Kyrie Jackson, the corner from Alabama, looks the part. Yeah. <laughs> him, and, him and Birch both look different. Like yeah. they're SEC guys. But you lose the flows and the sewels of the world at linebacker. Your linebacking crew, there will be familiar names there, like uh, Jeffrey Bassa, etc. I think Funa might be moving to a more like pass rusher role than a linebacker role this year. But that linebacker unit will be will be interesting. The secondary will be interesting, and you know I think there will be better performances in total from the defense this year. But it is a big hurdle that Dan Lanning has to uh, has to leap. I think it's important that the Ducks get Portland State Week One. No offense to uh, you know uh, Barney Ball in Portland State, but I think it's good to get them Week One before you head out to Texas Tech, and you don't start the season like yeah. you did last season against Georgia. You start the season at Texas Tech. Like I think that would just be a really tough spot, and so I think it's to get the one game in. I think it'd be big. Well, I agree. Barney Ball went to Arkansas 
of the season opener a few years ago and damn near beat the Razorbacks. That's true. We obviously know he beat Washington Mike State. Leach, you know, rest in peace, on the road. Almost beat Gary Anderson in uh, the 2016 opener, beat, I think. Beat uh, North Texas? Yeah, yeah. Beat yeah. North Texas, which is a good program. Yeah. So almost beat San Jose State last year. That's right. They did. Lost by a touchdown. So, yes, Oregon should win by three scores minimum. But I tell you what, man, Barney... He is frisky in these season openers, and I wouldn't overlook him. I can't wait. College football is going to be so much fun. And uh, talking about you know, slam ball, it's going to be up until August. Guess what's right after slam ball? College football. Slam the ball. Perfect appetizer. <laughs> the Ball and Face Truth Radio Network, where you get your slam ball and your college football needs <laughs> all in one. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, Blazers Summer League, they start on Friday. They take on the Houston Rockets. I'll tell you what to look for out of some of their new players and some of the returning players right here on the Bald Face Truth. Bald Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano here on this lovely Wednesday. Wednesday day. I had to think about it. Fourth of July was yesterday. It's the 5th of July. Uh, Trailblazers, all the Dame talk. Where is he going to go? Is he going to go to Miami? What it is? We're going to see some Blazers on the court. The Blazers Assembly starts on Friday the 7th versus the Rockets. That's a 4 p.m. game on ESPN. Scoot Henderson taking on Amen Thompson. Then the Blazers play on the 9th, which is a Sunday, against San Antonio and Victor Wimbanyama. And then on the 11th, which is a Tuesday, they take on Charlotte and Brandon Miller. So nice little schedule for the Trailblazers. But what do you look for in the Blazers Summer League? Like, I want to, Joe. I want to ask you first. Like, what is there anything specifically you look at summer league, or do you not take it seriously? Blazers have won a couple summer league titles past few seasons. Uh, not that it matters on the court for the regular season, but is there anything that you look at when it comes to summer league, or is it just kind of like, all right, we just want to see, you know, Scoot get a dunk or Shane Sharp get a dunk? Is there anything in particular you're looking for? Yeah, my thing. My big thing is don't get hurt. That's that's, and that's what a I problem. Look for. Yeah, Shane Sharp yeah. got hurt last year. So Shane got hurt last year, and I was like, oh, great. Um, it's ominous when guys get hurt in summer league. Not really for for Portland, I guess. Like I'm not, I don't really take a whole lot away from winning summer league in terms of what it means culturally or what it means for your you know actual yeah. NBA team on the court. I think it's a little different this year because of the G League team. Like I might be a little bit more akin to watching some of these dudes because I might be watching my child center, you know, at some point. And I think that adds a little bit of interest to it. But most of the summer league interest for me uh, that I that I've got is with Wemby, you know, the Brandon Miller, and I'll be interested to see just how uh, flashy Scoot looks early because uh, Brandon Miller's had you know, and guys are breaking down his tape. He's not as flashy as you know Wemby. Obviously, he's going to be or definitely Scoot. But I am interested to see how these top guys come out swinging out of the gate. If they struggle in summer league, you know, it's. To me, it's hard to struggle in summer league and then turn around and be great in the regular season. Like you, you know it right away. It's it's kind of my take with young guys in general. It's like you kind of know it right away with a lot of these guys, uh, whether or not they you know are going to be bona fide stars in the NBA. If you're going to be a star in the NBA, you're sure as hell not struggling in summer league. You're you're going to be a star in summer league as well. Yeah, I think uh, the first thing I would say is don't put too much stock in the summer league, like you said. Winning championship, awesome. Blazers are actually, uh, just to let you know, second. Second best odds to win the championship, right behind the Oklahoma City Thunder. 10 to 1, I believe, to win the championship. I don't think it's a good bet. It's inflated because of past titles. Yeah, their championship pedigree. Rip City is. They returned Keon Johnson from the team last season. Summer League League USA, Portland, Oregon. Um, But I would say, yeah, don't put too much stock in it. But I think there are some particular things to look for. And you are right. Like, when you watch guys play Summer League, you can kind of tell, like, okay, this guy gets it. 
Like, that's the first thing I look for is, does he belong in the NBA? And we saw last season Jabari Walker had a nice summer league. You watched after one game, you're like, yeah, this guy belongs in the NBA. No matter what it is, whether he's a role player, whether he's a bench player for life, he deserves a shot. Same with Trenton Watford. He got a shot. I think that's the first thing I look for. Like, you can tell just right away, okay, this guy belongs. And it's not just about points. And it's especially not about points. Because guess what? I'm going to read off the MVPs of the summer league. It's not a great list until you get Damian Lillard in 2012. Keegan Murray, he's a fine, fine role player with Sacramento. Before that, Cam Thomas, Brooklyn, Davion Mitchell, Sacramento. He's been rumored to be shopped because Sacramento doesn't want to pay him. Like, okay, not, he, not great. Brandon Clark, good, good little player. Nothing special. Josh Hart, we saw what he did in Portland. Lonzo Ball, he's been hurt the whole time, but he hasn't been a superstar since he's got the NBA. Tyus Jones just got dealt to Washington. Good little player. Nothing special. Kyle Anderson, Glenn Rice, Jonas Valanciunas, you get my drift. Then he goes to Damian Lillard. Awesome. Josh Selby, you ever hear of him? He was the number one recruit in high school. He was summer league MVP. Uh, John Wall, he's fine. Blake Griffin, great. Jared Bayless, remember him, guys? Portland, Jared Bayless, he was summer league MVP. We all thought, oh, man, he averaged 25 in summer league. He's going to come in the NBA and dominate. No, no, he didn't. Nate Robinson, Randy Foy, that rounds it out. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not the star players. Yeah, I want to see Shaden Sharp do some things. But you want to want to see Shaden Sharp do? I want to see him make some reads on offense. I want to see him make the right passes. I don't care if he's making step back jumpers because if he's making tough jump shots, you know what that means? He can't create space against guys that are 50% not going to be in the NBA. I want to see him get easy shots. I want to see him knock down some threes. Jared Dudley, he's going to be coaching the Dallas Mavericks Summer League team. He's talking about Jaden Hardy right here. And this is really fun. I thought as a basketball nerd, like I love this talk. Jaden Hardy, he's going to be a second year player. He's 21 years old, just turned 21 today as his birthday. But the Mavs have a lot of hope at him. He showed some signs last season, shot 44%, 40% on three, averaged nine points a game. But he's a cheap guy. They drafted in the second round. They expect a lot out of, but he's going to be playing in the summer league. Jared Dudley talking about what he wants to see out of Jaden Hardy. Is it 25 points a game? What does he want, what does he want to see? Well, Hardy has to get, I mean, the question, Hardy's going to play. I mean, I'm not a head coach, but he averaged, what, 15 minutes? For him to get to 25, 27 minutes, his defense has to, his awareness off the ball, uh, being low-manned, uh, pin downs. Um, and it takes, it took me when I played two, three years of that. And I went to BC for four years. So I asked the guy in the fire, and he's having to guard the likes of Kyrie and Luka with these guys are elite. So for him, it's uh, off-ball awareness. And then offensively, he, I mean, I think he shot 40% on step-back threes. So it, it shows you his his capability but can he make the reads can he make the lob pass to the low man can he make the corner pass um we let the game come to him if he's one for six is he gonna shoot two more bad shots and and, and that's why i try to try to ease him hey you're getting 20 shots all my plays are for hardy and then listen we we know that he has it and so uh it's it's geared for him but at the same time like you have a lot of responsibility it's not because you get green like to shoot every time it's very similar to luca Jaden Hardy, when he plays for the Mavericks, you know what he's not going to have? The green light to shoot every time. He's going to give the ball to Kyrie. He's going to give the ball to Luka Doncic. Can he make plays off of him? That's what you want to see, right? So if Jaden Hardy goes out and he averages 25 a night, but he's hitting just step back after step back, awesome, I guess. But 50% of these guys in the summer league, we need to remember, aren't going to be in the NBA. So when you relate that to the Blazers, Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, do I want to see them score a lot? Of course I do. Do I want to see them have some great dunks? Yeah. But I want to see some improvement from Shaden Sharp. I want to see some defense. I want to see some defensive intensity. As a 19-year-old, you don't expect much. Now he's 20, second year. The franchise is built around him. You want to see some of that defensive instincts kick in a little bit, right? Scoot Henderson, great athlete, same thing. He's been a pro for two years of the G League. 
Like, this shouldn't be an adjustment for him. He should be ready to play on this type of level. This is what he's been playing at in the G League. is Summer League, basically. Like, he should come out and he should be playing really good defense, making the right passes. You know, if he's flashy, he's flashy. That's great. If he's scoring 25, awesome. But I want to see him make the right plays. I want to see him. All the defense is going to be focused on those two guys. When they're double teamed, do they make the right pass to the kick out to three? And that's where you look at the other guys, Ryan Rupert, Chris Murray, Keon Johnson, Jabari Walker. They're all going to be on the team. Can they knock down wide open three-pointers? Because you know what? For these guys to get on the court, it's by defense and knocking down a three-pointer. The Blazers haven't been able to shoot very well. Jabari Walker, the thing he struggled with last year was shooting the wide open three. If he can develop a jump shot, he can play. He can be a role player at some point in his career. Same with Keon Johnson, great athlete. But you know what he's not great at? Can't shoot very well. If he can develop some type of shot, that'd be great. Chris Murray, he knows his role is going to be playing defense, being able to knock down a wide open three. I need to see those things. It's the little things. I don't care if the Blazers win. I don't care if they lose. But what I want to see is Shaden Sharp making the right pass. I want to see Shaden Sharp finishing at the hoop, drawing some fouls. I want to see Scoot Henderson doing the same exact things. I want to see Chris Murray knocking down wide open three pointers. Because if you can't, if you can't shoot in the NBA, you can't play. And Chris Murray is supposed to be a shooter. Ryan Rupert, what do I want to say out of him? He's supposed to be a defensive guy. Is he picking up full court? Is he playing good off-ball defense? Is he just an on-ball guy? The Blazers need that. It's the little things I want to see. I don't care about the score. I don't care about the result. I want to see specific players do specific things to fill their role in the NBA because star players, Judah, don't necessarily shine in summer league because they don't care or they stop playing or the players don't, you know, the team doesn't want them to get hurt. Like you said, it's all about role player development. And I think right now for the Blazers, when you're building this roster, these are the things you're looking for and you need to see come on Friday. I think those are great points. And I, I agree with all of them. The only thing I'd add to it is the more that I think about it. And I have not thought about Blazers summer league very much until this segment right about now. So the, th- it's the just, thing is, is this year they have like six or seven guys that are going to be on the regular season roster on the summer league team. Right. That's the other thing. It's either going to be the G leaguers here in child center, or they're going to actually be playing for the unit in Moda. I'm a sucker for kind of like career long narratives and trying to think of it in career long terms and then applying it now. And, the way that it intersects with this Blazers Summer League for me is like I could easily see a scenario that we're looking back on this year's Summer League and be like, you know, five, six years from now and be like, hey, remember remember Summer League 2023? That little core. The Scoot Henderson MVP Summer League. Right when Dame masks out, Dame Miami is what everybody's talking about. And Scoot Henderson walks into Vegas and just owns the thing. From start to finish. Good happen. Summer League MVP. Blazers win title. It's all on Sports Center because they're light on content anyways. And there's no one to host Sports Center anyway. But like I could look back on this Summer League in a few years and be like, that was the Scoot Anderson Summer League. When he put his stamp in Portland, you know, right away. Because it's still fresh, man. The Dame wanting out. Dame not wanting to play with Scoot. Still fresh. Scoot apparently reaching out the olive branch to Dame. I want to play with you. I want to help you. Dame not reciprocating that, at least not publicly, and certainly not in anything reported. You know, one is Dame going to show up to any of these games? That'd be hilarious if he did. Not the Blazer games, but I don't know about. I don't he'll know. Be Dame, he'll be at the Dame, Heat games. He sidelines. might be at the Heat games watching Hawkins, who is <laughs> sick, by the way. Baller. But I could look back on the summer league and figure that was the Scoot Henderson summer league where he really began the post Dame era. And he didn't wait to do it. He just went in and owned the thing. 
I can see that happening. Yeah, and, you know, it's like I said, it's one of those things where you just watch it and you're like, okay, this guy can play. And that's what happened in the regular season with Shaden Sharp. That first preseason game he played, we all thought, all right, this guy can at least play in the NBA. Like, he deserves a chance. And I think right now, for me, like, I just want to see, can Ryan repair? Do something like that. Can I watch him and say, all right, this guy deserves a chance. Same with Keon Johnson. This is going to be his third year in the NBA. Like, he has a lot to prove. If he can't play well in summer league, there's no shot for him. I don't know that there's a shot anyways, but you got to just show something on the court that is a distinguishable NBA skill. That's the one thing I worry about Chris Murray. I wasn't a big Chris Murray guy coming into the NBA because I don't know what NBA skill he has. He wasn't a wasn't a great shooter in college. He wasn't a great driver in college. He wasn't a great defender. He's tall. He's big. That's the NBA skill he has is size. Can he show something on the court? Can he show that he can knock down the wide open three-pointer? If he can do that, prove me wrong, that'd be great. I would love it. I just want to see some type of skill that these guys show in the NBA. And again, I'm not expecting stars. You're not going to see the stars dominate all the time in summer league. You're not even, it's just not going to happen. But you can find some role players that can fit going into the future. But don't you think Scoot, you know, is kind of that guy, like, I feel like he's got so much edge to him. He really wants to prove himself. He's kind of bull in the China shop, E, it feels like. And he's not going to let the game come to him. In summer league, I mean, he's going to go in and try to kick serious ass and he's either going to get hurt doing it or win MVP. I I just, you know, I don't know a ton about the guy, but from what I feel and have learned about him so far, it feels kind of that way. Like he's not going to let no game come to him. He's going to go out and try to slit some throats. I love, I love Scoot. I love him. I I am so psyched to watch the Scoot Henderson to Shaden Sharp, like in summer league into the regular season. Like I haven't been this excited for a blazer season in a long time. And I know it's like, counter what is that counter uh intuitive intuitive yeah. yeah but like dame leaving the team like got me some juice because it's the unknown we talk about the unknown i have no idea what scoot Henderson's is going to be but man you watch that guy play and you're like this dude is a beast this guy could be awesome shaden sharp we saw the dunks we saw the moves he could be great he makes the game look so easy like i'm excited man i'm excited there's gonna be there's gonna be some sick plays for sure scoot henderson Shaden Sharp, we saw a tweet uh, the Blazers put out of Scoot throwing a backdoor pass to Shaden. He just bangs on everybody. That's going to happen. He's going to bang out on somebody. Like I said, I don't even know if Shaden Sharp finishes the summer league, but, man, I'm excited to watch uh, Friday for sure against uh, the Houston Rockets, 4 p.m. on ESPN. I will take a break. When we come back, uh, the NFL, they kind of blamed the Eagles and the Chiefs for their faults for slipping in the Super Bowl. I got some problems with this. Talk about that next coming up on the Bald Face Truth. Bald Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John, who is out today. Great, lovely day. Uh, we talked about Matisse Thibel signing an offer sheet with the Dallas Mavericks. Mavericks just made a sign-in trade with uh, the Boston Celtics, getting Grant Williams and signing him to a four-year deal as well. Because of that, uh, they can still offer Matisse Thibel the mid-level exception, a little inside baseball here, but uh, there is a first apron in the salary cap in the NBA, and as long as you don't go above that, you can do a sign-and-trade deal. The Mavericks won't be above that first apron, so they can take the sign-and-trade, and they still have the mid-level to give Matisse Thibel. So Dallas making some moves. Be interesting to see if Portland matches the contract. I think they do. I think Matisse Thibel's back in Portland next season, uh, but he is still expected to sign that offer sheet with Dallas, even though the Mavericks just acquired Grant Williams from the Boston Celtics. But I want to talk about the NFL and the Super Bowl last season. The Eagles and the Chiefs played a great, memorable game. It was high scoring. 
Uh, Kadarius Tony with a huge punt return. Patrick Mahomes making plays. You remember how many sacks the Chiefs up gave up that game? Zero. And that was the big question. The Eagles pass rush. Can they get to Mahomes, who was on that bum ankle? Gave up zero sacks. But it was all a lot of the uh, the slipping and sliding on the turf. Big story in the game was a lot of slipping, a lot of sliding. Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham said the Chiefs were blessed by the field conditions. Well, the NFL, they have privately blamed the Eagles and Chiefs players for all the slipping that happened in the Super Bowl, according to Mike Florio. A source told Florio that the league communicated to the owners that the reason all the slipping happened is because the players were wearing the wrong cleats. Well, that can't be true because the Eagles actually changed their cleats during the game. It just feels like a weird excuse that the NFL is putting out there because they don't want to take more blame and have more bad publicity. Judah, you're my NFL guy. You're a Seahawks fan. But it was weird during the game when all these players were slipping around and sliding. It had a huge impact on the game. You know, again, the Eagles, their defense was led by that pass rush. We knew they would get after the quarterback because they had done it all season long. They go for zero sacks in the game against Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes stands back, has a great game, Super Bowl MVP, yada, 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 Chiefs win. But now the NFL coming out and blaming the teams for the wrong cleats that they've probably been wearing all season. They've worn this, you know, the same type of cleats all season long. Now they have to wear different cleats. With, I don't know. It just seems like a weird stance that the NFL is standing on right here, saying that it's the team's fault, not their fault. Couldn't be their fault. It had to be the team's fault that they're slipping and sliding in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the, the cleat thing is a real thing. You know, like if you go in and play in Soldier Field and it's it's going to be wet that day, like that's why you've got, you know, equipment managers and stuff. I remember the Seahawks went through this a lot, um, you know, in 2012-2013 uh, in the, the uh, 2014, the Super Bowl runs. You know, depending on what road game you were playing, like there was a lot of conversation about what cleat, cleat length you're going to wear. And you want to be prepared for any, you know, situation. But you would think with the Super Bowl, two weeks to lead up, you would kind of know, you know, it's pretty uniform what kind of field length that you're going to get. That is not but what, what you don't know is how freaking wet the, the field's going to be. And and that, to me, comes back to what, you know, uh, the, the longtime NFL groundskeeper, George Toma, told ESPN that he said, look, the, the field was overwatered. And... You know, they wheel out that that grass out of State Farm Stadium. They water the crap out of it, and then they wheel back in. And I kind of agree with that. It feel, it looked like a field that was overwatered and was not cared for the way that it should. So the NFL, you know, passing the buck on this to me is classic NFL because they won't take accountability. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was still their fault and whoever's, you know, managing the field for the NFL. It was that guy's fault because it like, was terrible. It's like there hasn't been, there wasn't problems during the season with the Cardinals and their home games and the well, turf. Well, there was, there was uh, at some point, but they fixed it. You know, they thought they fixed it. The Chiefs had some serious injuries in that stadium week one when they killed the Cardinals. You know, Trent McDuffie, the UW guy, tore his hamstring. He blamed the turf. Their kicker got hurt. They had to bring in Justin Reed to kick field goals in that week one game. But this was a little bit of a different issue. It was a whole different field than the regular season field they used, and it, they still left it up. So good for Arizona. Come on, NFL. Just yeah. get the grass right. All right, we'll take a break here. Uh, coming up, happy hour, 5 o'clock hour, 5 at 5. Plenty more on the Ball Face Truth Radio Network. Ball Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano today. Happy hour right now, hour three. We've got the 5 and 5. We're going to talk some more Blazers, talk some Ducks, talk some Beavs. 
We'll talk whatever you want. 503-417-7575. You want to hop on and talk to us as well. 5th of July. It's always the day after the 4th of July. Judah, what kind of, uh, did you have illegal fireworks at all? Because, uh, you know, we, uh, we're, we're friendly with our neighbors. Our neighbors have a daughter who is the same age as my oldest son. They're in the same class, so they are friends. Um, they have, like, a high schooler and maybe two high schoolers at junior high. I don't know. But they are super into fireworks. Like, the dad gets the uh, the ones from up in Washington as he works up in Seattle right now. So when he came down, he brought some down there. We did this last year with them, and they set them off. And, you know, the big ones are they're, they're fine. Um, they're better, but are you the uh, illegal firework guy? Or are you the uh, the normal legal guy? Yeah, I'm a dud. You're the dud guy. I don't I don't really do fireworks a ton right now. I bet maybe when uh, my little one gets older, she's she's almost two, so maybe when she gets older, I'll be more into fireworks what, doing some. But what is what was her thoughts on them this year? She liked them. Like I wasn't like, I wasn't home because I was here in the seat that I am now with doing the Portland Timbers. Oh, uh, the first half fiasco last night that was a, ugh, that was frustrating for anyone that don't know Portland went down to Colorado to play a soccer game last night and it was supposed to start at 6.39 p.m. and at 6.35 they issued a severe weather warning this game was being played outside of Denver and uh, it lasted for like an hour 45 minutes so we were just sitting here after we did our pregame show we were just sitting here waiting for the game to start it finally starts at 8 26 p.m they play the first half and at halftime around like 9 20 they say oh by the way we're in another weather delay and then they kept us in a weather delay did tell us what was going to happen for another hour and a half so i didn't leave here till about 11 11 15 last night mm. and we played one half of soccer i will say it's ridiculous um i'll say thank you for uh for working that game because that would have been frustrating for well, me. Well, you you did. Usually, uh, I'm here. You did a weather delayed game earlier this year too. But then they finished it. They so. finished it, but you know, and still then, there wasn't a huge delay. I mean, there was one a for me, delay. one for you. Oh, those weather delays. Yeah, baseball. So I, I missed delays. the fireworks last night, but my my wife showed me a video that my uh, little one was looking out the window, looking at yeah. other people do theirs, and she thought it was the funniest thing ever. So she liked it. Well, that's awesome that she thinks it's funny. I, <laughs> I was like, do it again, do it again. Do it again. You can do it. We also went to the coast over the weekend, and we went on a day that was ridiculously windy in Lincoln City, like 20-mile-an-hour winds, so we can only be on the actual sand for like 15 minutes tops. Isn't isn't that every day on the Oregon Coast? That's my question. You went to the coast as well. What kind of luck did you have? Yeah, we were in uh, Pacific City. Uh, but we we didn't really go down to the actual beach like at Pacific City. We went to like uh, this waterfall thing mm. that had like a seclu- like a closed off like little beach area, which was awesome. Like there was just this uh, waterfall and there's this you know big giant rocks everywhere. Hardly any people. It was actually a really good time. So we were on the actual beach. So I don't know how okay. windy it was there. That sounds but, like better than. But it's our always windy. I mean the Oregon coast. Like, yeah. Again, you know, this was a big thing. Uh, maybe last year, Dame said he'd never been to the Oregon coast, and everyone bashed it. But it's like, I mean, the Oregon coast is fun, but like, it's not not the best thing. I kid you not. It was the day of the Dame trade that we went to the coast, and I was like freezing my ass off. And I was like, you know what? He's right. Yeah. Like, go I, to Miami. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never been. The thing is, I've never been to a beach that's like hot. I always want to because I'm so used to the Oregon coast. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's cold at the beach. I can bring a sweatshirt. It's July. I would love to go to a beach that's like hot. I'm just like, hey, I'm more of my jersey. I did visit my sister in Los Angeles one summer, and we went to the beach, and it was like the most magical thing. And, you know, just beautiful people walking around. 
And I was like, this is what it's supposed to be. I bought In-N-Out a half hour ago. I'm still got fry sauce and animal style stuff all over my face. And now I'm in the Pacific Ocean 30 minutes later with beautiful people all around enjoying a beautiful day on the beach and it's not windy. I was like, that's what a beach is supposed to be. What not you, what we have up here. What are you trying to say? Not beautiful people at the Oregon coast? <laughs> you can't tell because they're all covered up in 3,000 layers of clothing. <laughs> that is very true. As I was wearing a sweatshirt the entire time, I was at the beach as well. Uh, with, on that note, let's uh, do the five <laughs> at five, the five biggest stories according to Judah Newby right now. The five at five. All right, Judah, we know the Oregon coast is not number one on the beach list, but what is your number one story of the day? Well, we got the MLB All-Star Game coming up here in about a week or so, uh, next Tuesday, the 11th, and there's been a few injuries out there, and most notably Mike Trout. He uh, fouled the ball off his wrist, and he got surgery today, so he's going to miss it. Shohei Otani had a blister, so he's not going to be able to pitch in the All-Star Game. At least he's saying that I'm not going to pitch in it. He might DH, but he might be out as well. We're seeing a number of high-profile baseball stars that are probably... Aaron Judge, he's going to be out. Mm. How bad is this for the game, Steven, that already is trying to win back an audience that doubts its uh, popularity or its cool factor? Now for its biggest league-wide event outside of the World Series, it's not going to have a number of its biggest stars like Trout, like Judge, and potentially Otani. Well, I think if they have a good home run derby, it's still going to be a win. Mm. And, you know... It's kind of like the NBA All-Star Weekend. Like, if they have a good dunk contest, they have a good three-point contest, I think it's a, it's a win. Nobody cares about the actual game. And, you know, good thing that the Major League Baseball, MLB, they went away with that stupid rule that it the, this one matters. And the winner of the game gets home field. That league gets home field advantage of the World Series. That was one of the worst rules ever. So I'm glad they got rid of that. But I think, you know, if Adley comes in, has a great home run derby, if whoever else is in it, uh, Pete Alonzo, the polar bear, he comes, you know, like he always does in the home run derby. He's crushing balls everywhere. I think it could be a win. And I think that's really what matters. It's it's not even about the game. So I think it is, you know, it's a little bit of a loss, you know, with Shohei, you know, Mike Trout, all these guys being hurt because they are the faces of the game. But I think that the MLB can still have a nice all-star weekend if the home run derby is fun. Cause that's the most fun part about it. The, the, the home run derby, out of all the like the exhibitions, the dunk contest, three point contest, home run derby, uh, football, you know what do they do? They do their little uh, skills skills challenges challenge now. Thing, yeah. If it's the I, don't, I really don't know what football if does. It's the, <laughs> if it's the old school NFL quarterback challenge where they have the moving targets and they have Randall Cunningham throwing sixty yard passes down the field, I'm down with that. But skills challenge, no, I don't know what they do. I know hockey's like skill challenge as well. Like the home run derby is the coolest one out of all of them. So I think if they put on a show, I think it still could be a win for MLB. All right, number two. Number two, uh, over the weekend, actually on the 4th of July, we were looking for that 4th of July NBA bombshell, and we got it. The Orlando Magic have waived Bull Bull, the former Oregon Duck, the one and Donner who only played a handful of games because of injury. Is this the end of Bull Bull in the NBA? Stephen Vaughn being waived by the Magic on the 4th of July, or what kind of NBA upside does he have? Uh, NBA upside, I don't think it's much. He'll get signed. He's one of those guys where he's Cam Reddish. He's Mo Bamba. Highly, highly touted guy out of high school. Didn't fulfill anything at Oregon. Like, he had a nice year, but he got hurt. Hasn't done anything in the NBA. Like, He's, a fan base gets that guy and you're like, all right, we're, we're the answer. We're the team that's going to change this guy and make him a role player 
in the NBA. He's just not. A, he's just not. He's just not that good of an NBA player. Um, unfortunately, you know, injuries have cost him a little bit. Situation have cost him a little bit. But he had a chance in Orlando this past season. Showed some flashes. Was fun. But he's, a, he's just not an NBA player right now. I don't know if he ever turns into that. If he does, it's going to be what I talked about earlier. Like in Summer League, it's one skill that he has. Right now, you know, when he's 7'2 and you're running the point guard, like that's cool, but that's not really sustainable. And I think for Bull Bull, unfortunately, it just hasn't worked out. I think he signs on with another team this season. He'll be with somebody in the regular season, but I can't imagine it's in any meaningful role. And uh, yeah, I mean, Bull Bull just, it's, he is what it is. He just isn't an NBA player in my mind. Would no. you have thought that Bull Bull had a worse career than Troy Brown? In the NBA? No, I wasn't a Bull Bull guy ever. I never thought he'd be very good. I never let Troy Brown be any good either, though. He went, what, like 15th, I think? Yeah. He's, he's, he's bounced around. He signed with Minnesota. I mean, he's fine. He had a nice year with LA this year, but they're both kind of, yeah, those two high prospects that the Ducks got, Troy Brown, Bull Bull, never returned to the NBA players. It's the guys that weren't the big prospects. Dylan Brooks getting $80 million. I still can't believe that, but yeah, I don't know. Bull Bull, he'll be on a team this year, and some fan base will make some YouTube videos about how awesome he's going to be in this culture, and then he'll do nothing, and then he'll be on a new team the next year. All right, number three. Number three, well, Joey Chestnut did his thing again at the uh, Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest, and he won the thing. It looked like it had been uh, almost postponed because of weather, which I didn't know was a possibility, but they ended up uh, legging it out, and Joey Chestnut wins the hot dog eating contest he's put himself in the goat conversation he uh won his 16th hot dog eating contest he devoured 62 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes his world record is a lot more than 62 76 is the world record that he owns set back in 2021 uh, he told reporters today that the day after winning the hot dog eating contest, he is, quote, terrorizing some toilets and that he's still eyeing more world records. Is Joey Chestnut one of the greatest athletes ever? No, he's not. Um, <laughs> he's not a he's not an athlete, but he has a skill, right? Like, I think it's different. Athlete. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah, he's not an athlete, but he, How dare it, you? it's definitely a skill. Like, you can't just, anybody can't just put away hot dogs like, the, like he does. Like, he's definitely skillful. Like, poker, you're not an athlete if you play poker, but it's a skill that you can have that you're really good. And so, no, no athlete. I think the more important thing, and the bigger question is, 62 hot dogs, you said he ate. The over-under was 73. Did the rain delay have anything to do with that? Was it a dead under play? As soon as we found out there's going to be a delay, should we have all been betting the under? I think definitely. You're like what is totally the, right about that? It's like when you're betting. Pulled. It's like when you're eyeing a total on an NFL game and you see there's going to be like bad weather. You go under. You go under. Same thing with hot dog eating. Hot dogs getting cold. And I've said this for years. You see weather ahead of Nathan's famous hot dog. You bet the under. You got it. This has been my thing. Like, what are they doing? Are they putting them under heat lamps? No. Like, the dogs are just getting colder. Like, you, you know. If the precipitation, like, we're talking about milliseconds from hand to mouth to bun to mouth to wiener to mouth, you know, it's it's going to cost you some time. <laughs> when you put the hot dog in the water, is it better if the hot dog's cold or hot when you put it in the water? I mean, the buns, same thing. I think, you know, the buns could have gotten soggy in the rain. We don't know. Got to bet the under. Should have been. That's been, dead under. Should have been 62. How the hell does that win? Shame on the rest of the field. Come on. The books need to be better than that. 73 and a half. Could you eat 62 of anything? 
Like uh, Cheez Its. Yeah, yeah, crackers or something. Chips. Me, me too. Chips, definitely. Candy. Like What's your go to chip? Uh Cool Ranch, Doritos. Those are the bomb. Those are the bomb. Those are the bomb. The bomb. The bomb. Uh, I Speaking also, of toilets. The purple uh the purple <laughs> sweet chili Doritos. I mean any Dorito Ooh, basically. Sneaky. Basically any Dorito. Chester Cheetah. Your boy's on it. Salt and vinegar chips are good. My mouth's watering. <laughs> It's hard to do that and Granny Smith Apple references in the same show. Honeycrisp, let's go. Oh, Honeycrisp, that's what it was. Let's get the honey. Well, yeah, the red delicious we've found are not Those delicious. Suck. The red disgustings. <laughs> All right, number four. Uh, number four, 49er quarterback Brock Purdy got engaged over the weekend to his longtime college uh, sweetheart from Iowa State. Uh, apparently, uh, she's also a volleyball player now, not at Iowa State, but a volleyball player at Northern Iowa. And uh, yeah, they've been dating for a while. They got engaged over the weekend. Looks like Brock Purdy's a happy man. It looks like his elbow surgery is uh, doing okay. Uh, so, Stephen, now that Brock Purdy's engaged, how should this affect the 49ers' future odds to win the Super Bowl? Um... I don't know. The natural question to ask. Yeah. Did the marriage matter? Anytime I think of marriage, though. Not married yet. Yeah. Just engaged. I would say, you know what? It shows commitment. He's ready to work. He's all about family. He's about the life. You got to raise the odds a little bit. Like it's, yeah. You're better odds. But you know what? Every time I hear marriage, I always go back to Seinfeld and what uh, Kramer and Jerry talked about marriage and how it's a uh, prison. Interesting lunch with George Costanza today. Really? We were talking about our lives, yeah. and we both kind of realized... We're kids. We're not men. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes, we did. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. <laughs> there isn't. Absolutely not. I mean, what are you thinking about, Jerry? Marriage? Family? Well, they're yeah. prisons. <laughs> Man-made prisons. You're doing time. I don't know. Brock Purdy is doing time. No, I, I, yeah. What do you think of Brock Purdy? As a Seahawks guy, are you worried about Brock? Like, are you think Brock Purdy's going to go out and just dominate the NFC West? Like, I don't know. I don't, I didn't, he was good, right? But can he really do the same thing next season? You know, I, I'm not buying Brock Purdy. I, I think the 49ers still need to upgrade the quarterback position if they ever truly want to win a Super Bowl. Really? Yeah. Even though they they're were in so, the NFC title last year. They're so good everywhere else, but they, they probably could, I don't have played, trust, they could have played Philly way better had he not gotten hurt, but... I don't trust Brock Purdy to win a Super Bowl. You don't think they could have beaten the Chiefs if Purdy was healthy? No. And the Eagles... Can't. I don't think they could have beaten the Eagles healthy. Well, well, I think it would have been a much closer game. I still agree with you. I would have taken Philly, but the As way it, the, way, the McCaffrey touchdown and the way the defense clearly lost their edge after, you know... Their third and fourth string quarterbacks got hurt. I, it's a whole different game in Philly that day. It was 7-7 after one quarter. As a Seahawks fan, is Brock Purdy the best quarterback in the NFC West? Uh, no, Geno is better than Brock Purdy. What about Stafford? Oh, well, Stafford's better than both of them, but he's not healthy. What about Kyler? Never. Ky- healthy Kyler. Uh, a healthy Kyler, I would put. He's better than Brock Purdy. Yeah. yeah. But it's hard so to the 49ers get, have har- the worst quarterback in the division when healthy, but like but they've they're going to win the Super Bowl? Well, no. That's, I because, that's because Shanahan, you know, Shanahan is such an outlier. They only drafted Trey Lance third because they felt like they needed a quarterback. They haven't fixed it yet. Like, 
and they didn't need to. They got lucky because Purdy, Purdy individually is not a great quarterback, but in terms of operating the system, which is technically the quarterback's number one job, it's hard to find anybody better right we'll, now. We'll see. We'll see. I, let's see how good Sam Darnold looks when he inevitably gets some snaps. And if he looks good. If Sam Darnold looks good, then, then yeah. It's then a okay. quarterback independent system. Because Sam Darnold is not good. Because the quarterback of the 49ers is actually Kyle Shanahan. He's the quarterback. <laughs> He's the real. He's just not allowed to play. He's my quarterback. That's my quarterback. <laughs> All right. Number five. And number five, well, after leading the Iowa Hawkeyes to their first NCAA Women's Basketball Championship game, National Player of the Year, Caitlin Clark, she will uh, play some golf, or she already got to play golf with the Ryder Cup captain for the United States, Zach Johnson, a fellow Iowa native, uh, earlier today. Caitlin Clark says she's an avid golf fan. She's played since uh, childhood and uh, said it was a dream come true to play with a fellow Iowa native in Zach Johnson. I'll be honest, when I clicked on this story, I thought it was going to be Caitlin Clark is going to be one of like the next Capital One The Match uh, tournaments, and so I'm a little bit led astray reading that all she did was just play some golf with Zach Johnson. But I was hoping... That's Dan. Would, would you watch Caitlin Clark or other like well, women's basketball stars in like other sports? Well, I was hoping you were going to say she's going to... She just accepted to be in the Lake Tahoe tournament because I'm going to Lake Tahoe. We're going to the golf tournament. There's a celebrity golf tournament there. Really? Yeah, yeah. it's a big deal. McAfee's there. Uh, Steph Curry. All the Currys. Steph, Seth, Dell. I think Char- Steph has won it. Charles Barton. Tony once. Romo is the favorite. I already well, saw I already Romo's saw the odds. nails. Romo. Uh, Annika Sorenstam, I believe, is going to be there. Um, Aaron Rodgers, he's good. I mean, that's a. It's a I think he won it last year. Mike Golick, yeah. there's a big. I mean, it's a big time. Alfonso Ribeiro, Carlton from Fresh oh. Prince of Bel Air, America's Funniest Home Videos. He does America's Funniest kids, Home Videos now. My kids are psyched to see Alfonso Ribeiro that's because great. of America's Funniest Home Videos. I want to do the Carlton dance in front of him. Um, it's a huge list. So I was hoping you say Caitlin Clark would be there. I'm psyched. I would be psyched if Caitlin Clark was there. Yeah, I would watch her in yeah. person. Now, would I watch it on TV? No. I wouldn't. If, if she's in the match with Steph Curry and Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, I tuning in. No, I'm not. But you know what? If I'm in person, I'll watch it. She, I can't wait fun. for you to report back on that. I, that that sounds like a fun, fun oh, event. I'm excited. To. I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they really allow cameras or pictures there or like phones because I know a lot of golf tournaments don't do that. But we went out. We collected a bunch of cards. So hopefully we get some autographs on those cards for the kids and myself. And uh, I'm excited for that golf tournament. But Caitlin Clark, I will say, like, we forget how awesome that NCAA tournament run was. Like she put co- women's college basketball on the map again. Her and Angel Reese. So she's coming back to Iowa for one more season. I, I need to see like a rematch early in the season. If if women's college basketball in the NCAA is smart, they're rematching LSU and Iowa in some non-conference tournament, some neutral site game early on in the season, trying to say, hey, we're opening up college basketball with this, and like that's the go-to game because we all remember it. You should do it here. Film that invitation. Let's go. Moda Center? Yeah. I'd, I'd go. That I'd go. Awesome. That, that would be sick. All right. That's the five. Five. What do you think about uh, other people, like other athletes playing other sports? Do you like that stuff? Like the match? I know that just happened a couple, what was that, last weekend? And then Ernie Johnson, the big news was he was in the Hall of Fame. But like it was a, it, the event was Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey versus Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Like I, I don't no, even know who won. I don't either. I have no interest in that kind of stuff. I liked the very first one, and when it was uh, Brady was playing with Rogers. Well, wasn't that during COVID time? Yeah, that may have been That's right. That's probably right. Yeah, yeah. it was Brady. But at the same time, like that, I would watch though, because 
I don't think they've had that star power across the board since. Like, it was Brady Rogers and it was Tiger Phil. Like, how do you beat that, right? Yeah. Wasn't that? That's like, what it was, yeah. That was by far the best um, the best of the events. And the very first version of it, I think, was like a Thanksgiving Tiger versus Phil, like one-on-one. That was like the very first yeah, iteration of right. the match. I didn't even watch that because that gets buried in all the college and NFL football. I remember year. I streamed it. It was pay-per-view, but there was a web. There they were streaming it on their website for free on accident. So people paid for it, and then people could just go on like the TBS website and stream it. So I remember that's I that's really funny. I was working. I streamed it. That's really funny. That's probably the way that they boost the number. That's that's, uh, that's they're the worried numbers. about their ratings. They're yeah. like, well, we'll just make it for free anyway. But I remember the the Brady one because he had a whole. He was sucking, and then Charles Barkley was you know ribbing him, and then Brady had this approach shot and and uh, jarred it up from like 150 yards and talked smack back to Charles Barkley. Like that's the best moment by far that the match has done. So until they have that kind of star power, I probably, and you know, it's not going up against like other football. I probably won't be watching. Is there, the match. is there any other sport? They put it at a weird times and weird days as well. They never put it in like a, a nice juicy primetime window or anything like that. Because it's not a, I mean, you can't. Like, I guess, I guess not. It's but not going to get like, numbers. I feel like there's better, there's better windows that can get you better numbers. To me, it feels like they put it in kind of just weird times. I'd slots. rather watch, I'd rather watch Slam Ball. You'd watch, huh? yeah. Mahomes and Kelsey and Slam Ball. Ooh, that's, sweet. dude, you get some football players playing Slam Ball. Sign some serious waivers. We're talking about like a home run derby. Dude, I saw, I saw a Brian Dawkins mixtape the other day. Oh, dude, put the fear of God into you. John Lynch. Imagine those guys playing slam ball. Holy crap. It's my, over. One of my favorite players ever, Mike Allstott. He would be the king of slam ball. Dude, think about him driving to the hole and slam ball off the trampoline just he, head first. Mike Allstott was a slam ball. He wouldn't even go for the hoop. He would just get you out of the way, hurt you. Uh, who do you want broadcasting the slam ball? Gruden? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want John Gruden doing anything uh, on my TV anymore. He can go away. Uh, Spider two wide banana. Here comes all stat. Dion, don't, you don't you remember what John Gruden was talking about? He's he's a bad guy now. Judah. Oh, I know. Yeah, he's a bad guy. But uh, get out of my get out of my he, life, you know, John. He, he did Monday Night Football for a long time. He was a uh, good coach the second time around with the Raiders. Uh yeah, he had him going on the right direction. I'd say. He did a better job as coach than Mike Mayock did as GM. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Which isn't low hot, bar. Yeah, I was going to say low bar. but uh, And I like Mayock, but uh, stay out of the kitchen, dude. <laughs> but is there any other sport besides golf that you can really do this for? Like, mm. I don't want to see football players. Like, they do the celebrity basketball game and the NBA All-Star game with, like, football players. Like, DK Metcalf, he was the talk of the town because he had a couple dunks. Like, cool. He's 6'4 and an elite athlete. I expect him to be able to dunk. By the way, that is kind of one sneaky thing. Like the NBA guys, the NBA athletes, you forget how massive they are. Huge. Compared to like the NFL athletes. Like you think of guys that are just like like DK, you know, 6'4. Like you think like that is the peak of like being an NFL athlete. It's like a two. Like it's Dame's a guard. Six two. <laughs> yeah. It's like barely taller than Dame. It's like, oh my gosh, I forget how massive the NBA guys are. There's been pictures of like uh, Miles Garrett next to like, you know, random NBA insert guy here. And it's like the NBA guy just towers over. Right, exactly. But Miles Garrett, you know, Miles Garrett's huge. Yeah. But the NBA guy just towers over. And Garrett's like 6'5. Just a reminder of just, yeah, it's like it's a whole different level of height and uh, I, athleticism in basketball. I've always argued this NBA athletes are the best athletes out of, out of all professional sports. Interesting. But I mean, it's them or like edge rushers or offensive linemen, I think, in the NFL. But I think overall, like you give me LeBron James, 6'8", 240, 250, like the way he moves. But we see that I think the tight end, you know, NBA 
that, know, that's forward the, yeah. comp is we've seen variations of it with Mo Ali Cox and other guys that have Tony played, Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez is a great one. And Antonio Gates yeah. played basketball. Oh, he was a baller. At and Kent State, yeah. Both of those guys, Gonzalez and Gates, are first ballot all famers, and they were great basketball players as well. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I think LeBron would. You think LeBron would be a Hall no, of Fame? No, I don't. Player? I don't. He's too soft. He couldn't. He couldn't. <laughs> he couldn't take a hit. I, I I've argued that too. I don't think LeBron would be a great football player. He couldn't take a hit. He he could be a go route guy. Jimmy Graham was another one, right? Yeah, Jimmy Graham was serious a serious hooper, player. and uh, but yeah. even Jimmy was a little soft as well. You could argue, yeah, def- definitely a little but, soft. You know, he could snag him like yeah. Nobody. He was a uh, he was a power forward center in college. There's yeah. been a lot of guys that have tried out and not really made it, but yeah, no, LeBron, he'd be a go route guy. That's it. Oh, he doesn't have the speed to be a go route guy though. But he has not the- fast. He would he would have he would be a fade. Fade he's a, ball. He's red a, zone fade. He's a red zone tight end fade. <laughs> Nothing else. That's it. <laughs> One trick pony, just like I've always said. <laughs> he's a system player. LaFraud. He's a system player. Get Le- him on the NFL field. He's nothing. LeMickey. LeMickey title. <laughs> Down in the bubble. All right, we'll take a break. You come back. Uh, you listen to the ball face truth. Keep it locked in. Home run derby bracket is out. Jeff passed with a tweet. I guess this was on TV. I wasn't watching. I told you I'm sweating summer league results here. Sweating my summer league bets. Home run derby is uh, going to be in Seattle, of course. All-star game in Seattle. We, uh, on our uh, flagship station, 750 game, we got all the coverage of mayor of the uh, all-star game. So I, that's exciting. But uh, oh, the one of my lost my brain, my train of thought. Home run derby. The brackets are out. I'm looking up, trying to look up the uh, the home run derby odds here. Here we go. That's what I want. All right. Let me pull this up. Uh, Luis Robert, Chicago White Sox. He's the one seed. He has a bunch of home runs. He keeps hitting home runs. Uh, he will be taking on Adley Rutschman in the first round uh, of that one. Rutschman, the eight seed. Robert, the one seed. Pete Alonzo, he's going to be the two seed. He's taking on Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners. That is going to be an exciting matchup. Mookie Betts, three seed, taking on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then Adolis Garcia taking on Randy Orozarena in the 4-5 matchup. Pete Alonzo is the favorite in the betting odds to win the home run derby, plus 250. Vladimir Guerrero, three to one. Julio, plus 450. Robert, the one seed, plus 550. Uh, Adley Rutschman, 10 to one to win the home run derby. Right in front of Mookie Betts, who has the final odds at 12 to one. Judah, who are you betting on in the home run derby? You going to go Pete Alonso? It's probably the button. I mean, Julio. I'm going Julio. Yeah, you got to go Julio. You got to go Julio and parlay it with the Blazers Summer League title. Ooh. And uh, that, that'll get you. Throw a couple. Good throw a couple of bucks on Adley. Why not? I'd love a couple his... bucks on Adley for sure. Adley, I hope he does well. He just strikes me as a guy that's more of a pure hitter than a home run derby champ. But I've thought about that about some guys before that have gone on to like hit serious bombs in the derbs. Bobby so. Abreu. Bobby Abreu. In Detroit. By the way, I've just lost myself in the Immaculate Grid over the last uh, few days. My brother showed if me this. You know, you know. Immaculategrid.com. Oh. It is based. If you love baseball, you would love it. It's just basically it's a three by three grid. So with nine spots and it'll have like two different teams and you have to come up with a player who played for those two teams and you just have to do that for the entire grid. And then sometimes they do stats. It is it's fun. It is pretty wild. So uh, it takes me a while to I need like four different sittings to like try to finish the grid. But it's a it's a fun game. I mean, I put in Matt Latos. You know, I put I, it. Matt Latos was one of my answers the other day, dude. Luis Castillo is pretty much on every other day because he played for so many. Well, there's teams. certain players you can do for every team, like you know the you know those relief pitchers. I have to think there's got to be a relief pitcher who played for like 14 teams. Probably Fernando Rodney, Arthur Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> I never forgive Arthur Rhodes for giving up that home run to David Justice. Never, oh. I'll never forgive him. That yeah, was brutal. 2000. 
Something like that, yeah. Yankee Stadium, lefty-lefty matchup. I'll never forget watching it. Mariners were good. My dad goes out, watch the roads, he's going to choke. Like, he, you know, he can just do it. Then Justice crushes one that still hasn't landed. Forget about those moments, dude. I, Some <laughs> serious October oh. uh, scars. October baseball is great. I will say, I we talked to uh, Dale Scott, Jim Joyce, BFT Golf Tournament. They said they don't think it's going to matter, like the pitch clock in the playoffs. I think it's going to matter. Those games slow to a halt. And you'd love it because every pitch matters. I always think about the Blue Jays Rangers series and the divisional a few years ago where Bautista ends up just jacking one to the third deck. Yeah. And every single pitch of that game had so much riding on it. And it was like 30 seconds between pitches. You don't think about that in the moment because you're so like freaking dialed in. And you will lose that tension pitch to pitch, I think, with the... uh, with the ex- ex- expedited pitch clock. I think that's what will happen, but I guess we'll have to watch yeah, and find out. That is one intriguing thing I am excited about. Um, Judah, I also want to talk about this. The Action Network, more gambling stuff, but they put out their power rankings for the 2023 college football. Mm. There is a Pac-12 team in the top five in their power rankings in the betting world. Can you name that Pac-12 team in the top five? In all of the foot of all of the nation. I, I'm going USC. That would be wrong, my friend. It would be the Oregon Ducks they have as number five (laughs) in their power rankings. Uh, Other Pac-12 teams, Utah in at number six, which seems very high to me. USC, or I'm sorry, Washington at seven. USC at 14, the fourth ranked in their power rankings for the Action Network. UCLA, 27. Oregon State, 28. That seems a little low to me, but Oregon State in the 28, Washington State 51, Arizona State 52, Cal 57, Arizona 71, Colorado 113, Stanford 119. Now, are these power rankings? Power rankings. The the college football betting power rankings according so to the is Action it just Network. So it's just a content play from the Action Network, or is this also how, like, they feel like sports books are valuing these teams and... Because, you know, as a sport book, and you could probably speak to this more than I, sports books have their power ratings on certain teams. And that influences what kind of lines they set. Look ahead lines, lines week of. If you ever wonder, like, hey, how do you come up with a number for that? There's formulas behind all of it with these sports book agencies and casinos. And the formulas are often tied to how the teams are power rated in their system. But this seems to be like more of just a content play from the Action Network more than it is, hey, by the way, here's how these sports books are rating these teams in their back-end work. So it's their guy, Colin Wilson. Um, he does it. He actually writes in here, what's a power rating in sports betting? Well, I will read that to oh, you. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Thanks, power Colin. ratings are not all that different from trading stocks. You assign a value to something based on a number of factors. Try to buy when it's low and sell when it's high. With stocks, long-term investors look for a clean balance sheet, revenue growth, and market capitalization. In sports betting, a gambler should look for price point, market deflation, and growth over peers. Our power ratings are fueled by Colin Wilson's projections, which aim to judge the true quality of a team based on advanced metrics, coaching changes, year-over-year roster, continuity, and a host of other underlying components. So there is a scientific reasoning between why Oregon's in the top five, Utah's at six, Washington's at seven? So, yeah. So where do you basically, have, where, where do you have Washington? Yeah, USC seven. all the way down at 12? 14, 14. So what, what what they're saying is, is Oregon's going to be a little underrated 
Like there's value, there's on, the value ducks. on the ducks early. I think, especially in the season, um, according to Colin Wilson, I just think it's very interesting that the ducks would be top five where you talk about USC. I think they are the favorite to win the pac 12 right now. You look at Washington with all their returning. He has Utah at number six. I think it's very interesting that Oregon and Washington and Utah are been considerably ahead of USC. And maybe you, maybe we're overrating USC a little bit going into this Pac-12 well, season. And, and USC is a more public team. They're always going to, they're the Cowboys of college football, you know, along with the Bamas of the world and whatever. They're always going to attract a large, you know, uh, amount of tickets, a large amount of handle. Obviously, for us in the state of Oregon with DraftKings, we can't do this uh, legally. So, you know, the whole betting conversation on these, you know, college programs, you take it with a grain of salt. But it also tells me the takeaways are from like if you're a Duck or a Beaver fan, you're just like, okay, well, they're telling you where there's value based on public perception and where their, you know, formula kind of points to what teams actually have substance that outweighs the perception they have. You talk about where Oregon State is in that. I still think there's value on Oregon yeah. State if they're the 28th power-rated team. But I think what that what Network. that says to me is, you know, this guy and take for his worth. It's just one guy, his opinion on what they kind of think of the power rankings. But he looks at Oregon State and he says, "Well, they lost a lot of defense. Is Oregon State ready to just plug and play guys on that defensive side?" Something I've talked about and something I'm worried about for the Oregon State Beavers. It's I mean, a legitimate concern. I, I've done their, you know, I've picked their game so far. I had them at seven wins, and I like Oregon State more than I like Oregon. I love Jonathan Smith as a coach, but man, I love Trent Bray as a defensive coordinator. But I really worry that the losses in the defensive backfield could cause some problems even early on in the season for Oregon State. I think by the end of the year, maybe they figured out, but. That, that schedule at the start of the year, it's tough. And I think yeah. the first couple of games of the Pac-12 is going to be tough. Even their first game at San Jose State, I think, isn't a gimme. And I think if you're looking value-wise, you're looking at gambling-wise, I like San Jose State plus the points. I, I It's at like 17 and a half yeah, I mean, or, or 17. 28 seems a little low, but at the same time, I think there's a lot more questions about Oregon State that we are kind of just assuming is going to be fine. Well, that's it's definitely been my question. My, my big thing, too, is if DJ hits... Then 28's too low. It's way low. Way low. Because there's no that, version that, of this where DJ is awesome and the Beavers are like just a good team. I mean, you could argue if top... DJ's awesome, they're going to be 9-10 wins. You could argue top 10 at that yeah, point. If maybe DJ's win good. the conference if he actually hits, uh, which is the upside that you're betting on. And then defensively, I have the same concerns for you defensively. I guess the counter-argument, which I'm not all the way there yet, but the counter-argument would be, hey, Trent Bray, he's good enough to where it's more than a sum of the parts type of deal. Like the Beavers are more of like a plug and play defense than they are the individual talent matters yeah. defense, which is kind of indicative of their program in general. Well, that's but, kind of what we talked about with the yeah. college football playoff. Like coaching will matter at some point, and the Beavers got the coaches right. Like, I mean, just look what they did to the freaking Heisman winner last year. Confused him. I mean, he I mean, was terrible. He was, and that guy won the Heisman Trophy. He it's looked, amazing. He looked ordinary. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft. Everyone's saying he's the next Patrick Mahomes, and the Beavers made him look ordinary. Like that's my that. sneaky tag is Caleb Williams shine is not going to get any brighter this year. It's going to go down. Huh? I don't see how it gets any brighter. It like, can't. It can't. And it's a personality thing too. Anybody that just finger paints F Utah on them. And that's, now we're talking these, his the, thing. the Patrick Mahomes comparisons. I'm like, dude, you would you catch Pat Mahomes dead doing something no, like that? Never. Are you kidding me right now? That's a Baker Mayfield type thing. Get out of here. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, he'll be at Lake Tahoe. Backwards golf tag, backwards tag guy. Probably. But the Beavs, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Pac-12 schedule started out at Washington State. Then you're against Utah. Oregon's conference opener was at Wazoo last year. 
And that's, that thing got that's brutal. Hook. That's brutal. That's they, what I'm, bar- they got lucky to win that. That's what I'm saying. Like it's a brutal start when you go at Washington State, and then you're home to Utah, a team you yeah. who just absolutely out of all the games last season, Oregon State could have won all of them except for that Utah game. They got demolished. I'm not saying Utah's going to go into Corvallis and just dominate that game, but man, that's, that's Utah's going to be tough. That that I, great run game is always. Bernard, they're running back there now. Obviously, I mean, is rising it, is back. Would it be shocking if Oregon State goes three and zero, beats San Jose State, UC Davis, San, Jose, San Diego State, and then loses their first two in the Pac-12? It could happen. I mean, yeah, that could I, absolutely happen. It's a wild year, man. And that's why it's a wild year. I think that's why I think twenty-eight. It's not. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. I disagree with it a little bit, but I think it could. Uh, that's kind of where Oregon State could end up being at the end of the season. Seven, eight wins, good season. Maybe not the season. We all expect down in Corvallis. All right, we'll take a break here. Uh, we got a little story on Deion Sanders I want to talk about. We talked about Pac-12 a little bit more. And the Blazers coming up next on the Bald Faced Truth. Final segment here on a wonderful, beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in Rip City, Rose City, out in uh, Roseburg, Eugene. All the great affiliates, Klamath Falls, everywhere, statewide. Bald Faced Truth. I'm Steve Vaughn filling in for John Canzano, Judah Newby, with me as well um all right judah you uh you did the five of five today you gave me five stories but you told me in the break that you accidentally did the six at six so you had an extra story uh about coach prime and you know i'm always down to talk talk about coach prime in colorado i think they are the most fun team to talk about in all of college football i think they're going to be better than they're three and a half, four win total. I think they get five, potentially six wins. I mean, I cannot wait to watch their game at TCU. Then they take on Nebraska week two. Coach Prime, man, I'm all about it. So, uh, yeah, give me the, give me the sixth story at 548.06. That'd be great. So, Athlon Sports does their college football preview magazine the way that a lot of these uh, organizations do. They got one anonymous Pac-12 assistant coach on the record. Saying that Deion Sanders at Colorado is a lose-lose situation. Oh, he said this. It feels quote. It feels like a lose-lose for Colorado with Prime. Either he's going to be really good, really fast, and leave for another gig, which, looking at that roster, doesn't seem possible. The alternative is that they're going to be bad, and and they'll end up firing him in a big circus. Unquote. So Yahoo Sports took that quote, put it on their Instagram, and Coach Prime got in on the IG oh, comments and no fired Prime. back. He said, quote, this is the dumbest thing I'm al- I've almost ever seen, and the only reason I said almost is because I'm giving y'all time to stop this stupidity. We coming, and you know it. Love him, Sanders wrote, and he put him in uh, quotation marks to he's, not give the anonymous coach. He's him. Uh, yeah. The, the him that he's referring to because it is an anonymous coach. So anonymous coach says it's a lose-lose for Colorado and Coach Prime, and then Coach Prime fires back said this is almost the stupidest thing ever uh, because you got time to, to walk it hey, back. And you know where to find Coach Prime. You know where to find him. He, he, as he would say, he ain't hard to find. He ain't hard to find. He's coming. I, I just I love Coach Prime, man. I love what he's doing. <laughs> like, And I don't disagree with the story. Like, I wouldn't say it's a lose-lose, right? Like, If Colorado's good – and Coach Prime leaves after three seasons. Is it really an L for Colorado? That's the thing, man. You know, you, God bless Carl Durrell, but you know where where they had him with Carl Durrell. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, they, it's already a win. They've been terrible. It's already a I win. I mean, they've been the laughing stock of the Pac-12, except for that one year they got to the Pac-12 title game, which was so crazy under McIntyre. Remember that year? That was a weird year. But That was McIntyre, wasn't it? Yeah. Shoot. 
That wasn't even Mel Tucker. No. Remember, they had Mel Tucker for a yeah. minute, too. And then he then signed he a said, huge deal with Michigan big State. Big-ass money. That seems like a mistake for Michigan Ooh. State, but whatever. Coach Prime, dude, I, I love it. I just... I feel like, and I understand the, the thought process here, right? If, if Coach Prime is good in three seasons, he's probably gone to an SEC team. That, that's fair. Or he's gone to a team in Texas, something like that. And I understand that that's what it could be. And then he's probably going to take all his players as well. They're going to transfer portal just like they did in Colorado. They're going to get rid of all the players that they had at their old school. They're going to bring everyone back from Colorado to his new school. So, yeah, it could be an L in that case, I guess. But you're putting them on the map like – we haven't talked Colorado football since I was here for a whole year until Coach Prime signs there as their new coach. I, I just I don't see I don't see how it can be a lose lose situation when Colorado has, like you said, already clearly won with what they've done with Coach Prime. Is it a little petty of Coach Prime to get in the IG comments and fire back like this? No, I love it. That's what he does. That's what he does. That's what you love about it. That's what I love. I mean, he's out there like we haven't seen anything like this in college football. We've seen it in college basketball a little bit, some transfers coming in, and it worked all right. But we haven't seen a transformation like the Colorado program. US- I like what you did there, transformation. Yeah, I mean USC. Boulder did- is the transformation transfer nation. Oh, the transfer nation! <laughs> Unbelievable. The college, the Colorado transfer nations. <laughs> I mean, we saw USC get a lot of transfer guys last season, and it worked, right? They all they were a game away from the college football playoff. Colorado's not going to be that. But man, I love what they're doing. I love the fact that we haven't seen it like this before. Is it going to work? Like this could, if this works out, Judah, this could start a trend of like, hey, we're just going to go out and get the best recruiter possible who can get transfer portal guys and rebuild our program that way. Like, think about that with Oregon State back in the day. Like, if the transfer portal was there and they had Gary Anderson, they could have brought in like Coach Prime. Wouldn't that have been a win? And you bring in all these dudes. Like, I think that could happen for these big time schools. That have been down in their luck and haven't been. Would you rather good. have Coach Prime or Jonathan Smith? Well, Jonathan Smith coming out of the Gary Anderson. Jonathan era. Smith because I know he can coach. Like I, I don't know <laughs> if Coach Prime can coach, right? Like he won at Jackson State, but he also was way more talented than ja- everyone else at Jackson State. Like he can recruit. Can he coach against Pac-12 coaches? I don't well, know. And that's what this assist anonymous assistant said. Which, by the way, I'm dying to know who it was. I would love to know. We need Kanzano on that right now. There's so many great, you know, that's a wide net when you say anonymous assistant. What level of assistant? Who the hell knows? Uh, But normally I'm against anonymous, you know, you know, going on the record anonymously. I need more anonymous. But it's actually more. I actually like it better. It's great for content. And how many of these conversations are being had across Pac-12, you know, athletic departments right now? Coach Prime this, Coach Prime that. Like, it really seems like he's a lightning rod. John has brought this up. Do you think teams are going to be circling Colorado on their schedule. Like we need to come out and kill these guys. I think so. Like and John, John Wilner was pouring cold water on that. And I actually agree with Kanzano. I think they're all circling the Colorado game. Like TCU, Nebraska For is like one or two we reasons. Need to one, we need to teach them a lesson or two. They loved watching Dion growing up. Like Dan Lanning probably was a Dion Sanders fan, you know, of some, of some kind. I would imagine when he was, cause he's what, you know, 34, Five? Mid-30s, yeah. Mid-30s, so, you know, Dion was a dude in the 90s. The dude, yeah. You know, with uh, Atlanta, San Francisco, Dallas. So, yeah, I would think that they would want to beat that guy for you, sure, without question. Do you think if you pulled 12 Pac-12 head coach or 11, I guess, 11 Pac-12 head coaches, how many coaches would say Coach Prime can coach X's and O's? Well, de- defensively, I think he can. I think that narrative has actually swung too far. You We're talking so? about one of the greatest athletes that played Ever. sports. Dude played MLB and, to, and the NFL. To suggest that he doesn't know how to coach 
his position or coach scheme, I think is underselling what he can do as a head football coach. Like he is way more than just a recruiter. This guy was one of the greatest NFL corners ever. You don't I, know that he knows how to teach the science of being a corner. And I then, tend to agree with you. All, he played with some ridiculous units. The Charles Haley's of the world, Craig Norton Jr.'s of the world, Merton Hanks's of the world. By the way, a Pac-12. You don't think that guy knows how to Darren coach Wilson. up defense? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He knows how to coach. I think that narrative swung a little too far. I, dude, I love it. I love. I think Colorado is going to be semi-surprising. Like I said, five, six wins. And I think it's going to be a win for Colorado. And if Dion leaves, I don't think it's an L for the for, for the program. I think it, they've brought enough fanfare, enough eyeballs on their team to get it there. I think it's been a win all around. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Judah Newby as well. As always, this is the Bald Face Truth. I'm Stephen Vaughn on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network.